this beat Hanging out by the tree stump So German me started making hits And it occurred to me You didn't have to be like 33 To start earning cheese With uncertainty In it for eternity A lot of style little money And some purple weed Me and my queen My girl Not Freddie Mercury Cause first you work for free Anything to get noticed Staying focused Cause bullshitting was hopeless So treat yourself Like a damn professional Your first music check Damn incredible Every day feel like The best day ever Until every day Feel like the best day ever and you used to them days, kinda become a routine You have a bad one, fuck up a good dream You realize that you'll probably be away when All the people die and you never get to say Everything you always wanted to but never got the chance to Start to weigh you down, what can a man do? I could've stayed around, probably cancelled a couple of shows Spent the last two years being dumb on the road I guess haven't got to spend too much in the home Time is what you make up a player, don't be mistaken All of your shit get taken, broken, beaten and wasted Still I wouldn't trade it, now it's 5 o'clock But my mind won't stop I've been thinking about life, pouring syrup and pop Smoking cigarettes like I'm really trying to die Try to keep my head on my shoulders but my mind in the sky I'm that moment when a gazelle and lion collide I'ma burn down, build it with a diamond inside Yep, independent platinum, wishing well passing Jewelry out the ice age, bitch out of Maxim I'll be writing this shit and just relaxing Let the time start passing yeah, yeah. So I just made this motherfucking beat and decided I, I, I did, I just was gonna rap on it too. It's late. Yeah, yup. Took my chains off to rap this one. Oh, I must drop my big chain. <laughs> Uh, who'd ever thought that I'd be standing in the booth with a big chain? It's like I'm joking. I don't got another verse. Alright, peace. You never know what you're gonna pick up. And that's the thing, man. So even among people I'm friends with or who I train with, um, we're all very creative minded, we think the same way. It's almost like how do we just a um, we just need to keep like a, a, a phone in the pocket that was constantly recording or a camera. And that's where the challenge comes. It's like I like I have a YouTube channel. I have the podcast as I said I started. Um, I'm gonna get a little closer to social media. Yeah. But um, I have all these different um, have a lot, a lot of different avenues where I create. It's just about what do you do consistently. That's how you get it to actually start to grow. But on the other hand, I'm like, I just want to create something. I don't really yes. care. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? So, so first yeah. off, do you mind pronouncing your full name for Yeah, me? for sure. My name is Olumi Day Olamidoke Jr. Okay. Um, you can call me Olu for short. 
but if you read it like it's a Spanish, like Espanol, then it makes it a lot easier to pronounce <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it's a beautiful name. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, really. absolutely. Yeah. And as I wanted to start off the interview, I, I don't like to just kind of go in there and be structured, yeah. but for this one, I yeah, have to yeah, say, yeah. I've like I said, I've never met an Olympian, yeah. and I need to ask one question right off the bat. When you have your platform yeah. once every four years, how do you stay consistent through those four years to make sure that you are at your peak when you that hit is. four years? Dude, um, it's a hard question. <laughs> I mean, you think about it for so long. It's interesting how the U.S. system, this it's going to make sense in a, in a second. Yeah. The U.S. school system is kind of based off of four years after high school, right? So mm. high school is freshman. Once you get ninth grade, you're like, I can't wait to graduate. And then you get to college, you're like, I can't wait to graduate. All that's four-year segments. So having already been in that, my life just kind of transitions in four-year segments by the time I was 15 anyway. Uh-huh. Um, I happened to graduate on an Olympic year, which is 2012, which meant the next four-year segment just so happened to lead into 2016. Wow. So it's almost like another... Um, another one of my lifetime chapters. So in terms of how that you stay consistent, it's the same thing I was just talking about one of my friends with as well. You gotta stay focused on where you wanna be, but at the same, so I'm looking for, I'm looking at the end of this four year cycle. Really it's gonna be the first time ever that's gonna be a 50 year cycle right now because of COVID, but um, you're looking for the end of that four year cycle, but you're also making moves today that are gonna move you in that direction. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't want to forget that you still got to take care of today. You, know, you still got to put food on the table today. You still got to go up and train today or rest. Right now, I had an injury earlier this year, so it's a lot of rest for me. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like in order to – I guess what I realized haphazardly the first time around is that from 2012 to 2016, um, I learned that, you know, I was so – I'm so visionary that I was so intent on seeing my vision through. I let the day-to-day stuff fall by the wayside. Now, I'm talented enough. I work hard enough that I was able to still make it to what I wanted to do. But by the time I got to the games, I wasn't able to compete at my best because there were some pitfalls to where I may have forgotten some things. Okay. So where else did you compete? Where did, did you compete in the 2016? 2016. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And training for 2020. Um, so what was that like in 2016? What did you learn yeah. from that? Dude, uh, I could go on for days. I learned... Uh, let's see. Um, on one hand, I learned... When I got there, it was like, oh, this is so awesome. This is great. I made it. I made it. I made it. But then it was like, I got back home. And then I never, I'll never forget the first time I ever cried happy tears when I came home from the Olympics. I just, I was also drinking and celebrating with my friends. So that's yeah. probably where it came from. And I was just like, oh my God, this happened. I want to make sure everybody can feel the same thing ever that I just felt. And actually, even though it was really like an emotional moment, that really has paved the entire way for me to go to training for Tokyo. So, Whereas before it was all about me, um, now it's like, how do I give that gift back to the athlete community, but also really to my community in terms of anybody I know at large. It's not just whether you're chasing an athletic dream, the Olympic dream, or you're chasing a dream of becoming an Oscar winner, or an auto mechanic. Like if you are dedicated and driven in what you're doing, this, the, the details might be different, but the, the general mindset you share of passion is always going to be the same. Right. The mindset thing yeah. is, is something that I resonate with because, as I mentioned, through this quarantine, it's something that yeah. I was able to realize that I had that from playing college sports. Right. You have that mentality of sticking with a objective, yeah. knowing what has to happen, one, in that day, and 
long term, yeah. but not really focusing on the long term too much. Yes. And so when you're able to gain that focus on a day-to-day basis, yeah, it becomes much more clear. Mm-hmm. And you're able to kind of see where you're going to be progressing. Right, right. And it's like, it's like when you build a house, I mean, how, you're building a house, you see, at first you just see the foundation, you see sticks in the ground. Right. But it's not like overnight that the house is just going to be built. After it's go through the process of laying the foundation, you got to put the sticks in, you got to you got to put the siding up. You got to do all the steps. And as you do more and more steps consistently, mm. that's when you start to see the frame of the house going. I was like, oh, that's where I'm going to live in. It's not just a, a block of cement in the ground anymore. And then, but still, as you get excited about what you're seeing, the mistake I've made in the past is letting that excitement of seeing the unfinished framework of what I want to be in. I hope I'm not losing you, but like the unfinished framework where I can start to see the house coming up. And I get so excited that I take myself out of just putting the next stick in the ground, putting the next right. stick in the ground. So you got to be able to see that, be motivated by that, and let the motivation of what comes tomorrow fuel your action that you take today. Right. So when yeah. did you put your first stick in the ground and realize, one, I really enjoy this, and yeah. two, I'm talented enough to go to the highest level in the world? Um, wow, that's a good question. It goes way, 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 way back. Um, I first started running track in seventh grade. Okay. Um, I always wanted to run track. I, I always wanted to play sports, but I didn't have a lot of opportunities to play sports growing up, so I considered myself a backyard All-American. But when I finally got into... Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up in the Northern Virginia area. Okay. So I'm the only person in my family who was not born and raised in Nigeria. Wow. I'm the youngest by a couple years, so that's why when my family finally moved to Nigeria, then I came or to America. Then I came out. Okay. Um, but I came out. I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I'm <Yeah>. here. <laughs> but um, going back to the question, it's... Uh, and I'm trying to like formalize it properly because there are mul- I, th- I would say it's multiple moments. You know, it's never there may be one moment where you're just like, okay, boom, I'm gonna pull this trigger. But that one moment just kind of as everything builds up. So when I was a kid, I watched the Olympics. Like, That'd be cool to be there. Never really thought much of it. Right. Seventh grade, I started running track. Eighth grade, I enjoyed it, but my legs were hurt. Like I don't want to do this. I just loved running fast and beating kids. I like it. I always loved that. But then when I got to my tenth grade year of high school, that's when I had met a coach who was a college coach who was very knowledgeable. And he was the first coach who ever was like, you know, you could be pretty good if you actually tried. Like, and I was like, huh. And when he said that, that was the first time I was like, how far could I take this? I could get a scholarship. Okay, cool. And in my mind, when I entered ninth grade, before I even thought about running track seriously, I was like, let me get a scholarship for either football, track, or academics. I didn't care, I just wanted to go to school for free. Didn't care how it manifested. So when the next year the coach kind of put that bug in my ear, and then the year after that I was ranked top three in the country consistently, and then the year after that I got a scholarship, I was like, well, I'm going to college. That happened. I bet I could beat in the Olympics. And that same year I was voted most likely, that was my senior year of high school, I was voted most likely to compete in the Olympic Games in oh, like the yearbook. My goodness. And I was just like, huh, yeah, I could do that. And it's like, you, that's where it starts. But I didn't put a whole bunch of pressure on it. I just like, I could do that. And that's where we talk about detachment. It's like, you see yourself being somewhere, and you say it could happen, and you believe it can happen. You don't put any doubt in it, and then you just let the bridge to build that gets you there take care of itself. The right. bridge being your years of life and activities that lead to that point. If I would have been like, I have to make it to the Olympics, I have to do it, I have to become the Olympian that everybody said I could be, I guarantee I probably wouldn't have made it. I would have put too much pressure on myself. But I was just like, oh, this would be a fun little goal. Let's just do it. Let's just see if I could do it. Yes. And Honestly, I'd forgotten that I even set that goal until four years later, the four-year cycle. Yes. From senior year of high school to senior year of college. Um, 
then it was like I was getting out. I was like, I have to keep competing. And again, the question came from that same high school coach. Do you think you can do it? I said, yes. So as I said, it was multiple situations where, um, and I know I probably got way off topic, but multiple no. situations where I was confirming it rather than just one single moment. Right. And I can yeah. think of when I have, I'm now seeing that I have a vision to play professional lacrosse. And yeah. as a Division three athlete, that's not usually a possibility. That's not usually. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and you realize you don't have to fit into that mold. Yes. You're allowed to break out of yes. it. You're allowed to have your own vision, even if no one else believes in it. It's something right. that you can keep within, not put the pressure right. on yourself, because as somebody who's taken it to the highest level, yeah. you understand that you are your hardest critic. Yes. And, oh, man. <laughs> and I feel the same way where yeah. you put so much pressure on yourself to create that person that you see yourself as that if you let it overbear those visions, then it's going to be something that you lose track of and right. And, and just lose, lose overall. And that's, that's tough as well. It is. It is. Um, but you are how old? 21, 22, 23, 23. For you to be speaking with this level, like I said, you, you remind me of me when I was your age. <laughs> so and I say it like I'm so old, but I'm not. Um, it's just funny because you see it, you see it, you see it. And I say see it, not even just in terms of the mindset, but also you have to see what you mm-hmm. want. You have to see that picture in your mind and trust it. And I will say this, you know, on route to my first Olympic Games, I was looking at my first chapter, so to speak, from 2012 to 16. It was, as I said, it was all about me. Yeah. It was all about what I need to physically get better. I need to jump for it. I just need to compete better. And it's an individual sport. And so it's it an indiv- completely on yes, me. Yes, completely on me. And even so highly, like, not even a relay. It's just like, I'm on the runway. It's like so, you're not playing basketball where it's all fluid. The competitions are fluid in the triple or in the triple jump and long jump and the field events. But every person has their one moment where you have to, like, and everybody's eyes are on you. So knowing that, it's like, you have to be able to, how do I put it? The first four years of my Olympic career was me really just proving to myself that physically I had it. Because similar to you, I was I was a uh, I was a conference runner up. Went to a D1 school, Big a Big Ten rather, Indiana University. But all the it's all the same conversation. Um, I went to we were a conference runner up. We were team conference champions. We I was second team All American, which is cool, but it wasn't first team. Uh, and I was second team All-American twice. I've had so many shortcomings during my college career. So really, when people were asking me what I was doing after college, they were saying, where are you going to, where are you going to go back to school? Going to get a, you know, going to go into the workforce? And I'll get to the work stuff later, but in my mind, I was like, I'm going to the Olympics. So yeah. when I say that to people, they're like, huh, okay, all right. Right. Not like, not even to be rude, you know what it's like. I do. And it's just like, eh, okay, sure. Me, I never doubted it. I was just like, you either see it or you don't. Yes. Um, and even the people closest to me probably couldn't see it like I can see it. And that's okay because it's my responsibility to see that vision. So knowing that the first four years was about the, the physical transformation, the second four years from 2016 on to now, which is really going to be, like I said, that plus one year, has been a mental transformation. And you always think you know the challenges until they come up and you're like, damn, I don't know shit. Excuse my French. But um, <laughs> like I really don't know anything. But um, And that mental space of knowing you don't know anything allows me to learn more than I ever could have imagined. I love it. Absolutely. And I feel this very similar where 
there was a book that I read in college called Mind Gym. The senior yeah. All-American gave it to me yeah. when I was moving into my sophomore year competing for the starting job. Right. And he said, this is going to transform you. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but yeah. that book made me understand myself so much better and then able, allowed me to just translate that one onto the field, but right. then into so many different aspects in creative, in my right. work, and understand that there are things that you are not supposed to control the only yes. thing you can control is yourself. And you yes. mentioned you're the only person that's doing the triple jump. You're the only person that's going to be on that podium. And you have to see that vision before anyone else yeah. does. And when you clear that space to eliminate the outside noise, that allows that moment to be so much clearer too. Right, right, right. That's it. I mean, you got to be able to see it. It's, you have to be able to see it so clear in your mind with certainty, you know, um, Obviously, there's so much uncertainty. There's like maybe 0.001% of things in the world that we can control. You can always control your mindset. You can always control the certainty with which you believe in your vision to the point that you don't believe in what you know. Yes. I mean, go beyond belief to knowing. You know what your last name is. You don't question. I believe my last name is Shevitz. No, you're like, I'm Elliot Shevitz. Like, you you are who you are, right? So you don't question that. Just know it. If you know it, then just trust no, if you know it, see, if you know something, you don't have to question it. Right. You know it, and you're not really worried about how something's going to happen. You just know it's going to happen, right? Yes. Um, that that sounds crazy to 99% of people you're going to talk to. Um, it, it really does. It, it, it makes you feel it, like, oh, am I am I crazy? Dude, dude, oh my goodness. And that's the thing. It's like, when you, talk, when you it's interesting because when you're a pro athlete and you're aspiring to be a pro athlete or you're an Olympian, you're a minority among your... Yes. Probably going to be, you may be friends with a lot of pro athletes, but you're still probably going to be like a minority among everybody you meet on a daily basis. And if you let what people who are not trying to do something similar, or not even, like I said, whatever, who are not necessarily as ambitious as you, which is not a bad thing or not, if you're not, but you let people who aren't as driven start to influence you with their thought. Oh, man. It'll make you think you're going insane. Right, so. it's a dangerous road to yeah. get down. And something that I focused on as well is my diet because I realized yeah. how important it is. I, I became a vegetarian through this quarantine really? and it's helped me so much just to really? understand what uh, I need in my body. I've been able to tweak it and realize, okay, well, I might need a little bit more of this and a little bit more of this. Yeah. And that's something that I loved on your social media yeah. page where it's no donuts until Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much of an adjustment is it? If you have <laughs> one donut, how long does it take for you to get back into like that clean body feel because there, there oh, is a man. feeling in your body that's like all right i got it out so i'll tell you what that's that's a whole story um and i know i, t- I end up talking at length so i'll try to make no sure, this is but... a this is a conversation okay, that should so... be at length absolutely okay there's no pressure there's no time frame all right so well i i have a i don't have a sweet i always say this i don't have a sweet tooth i have sweet teeth right <laughs> <laughs> and so growing up like Growing up, I was three years old. My dad would take me to preschool, and after when he picked me up from preschool, he'll take me down the street to the Dunkin' Donuts that's next to the gas station every day. So, every day. Well, oh. not every. I remember it as every yes. day, but it could have been for the span of like maybe once a week. Okay. Probably was once a week. <laughs> Either way, that's how I remembered it. Right. So that whole like loving donuts, I've always loved sweets. So, but got to college, where you know, in college you have college, you have your own money, so. I mean, <laughs> I would go to this place called Square Donuts in Bloomington, okay. and they would like they make donuts fresh in the morning, and then after like 10 a.m., they're all cut to 25 cents each. So I would get a dozen donuts, 
and I would crush them within 24 hours. Dangerous. And dangerous. And then because I'm young, I was younger, take it back to me being 30 now. For the most part, I feel like I'm still an anomaly. Um, physically, I don't gain weight. If I don't eat, I lose weight. That's just been my body type. So I can get away with eating a lot of junk that a lot of people can't do. So that's why I used to eat donuts by the dozen. Does it affect your feeling in your in yourself though? So as I've gotten older and learned to become more mindful, I realize it always had an effect on me. I just overrode that effect. Mm. Even when I was a kid, it's still overrode. That's powerful. Yeah, I, I was just able to mentally override that. Now I realize, okay, you know that little bit of bloatedness I get. Oh, that's not really helping me when I go to practice tomorrow. Or so maybe that uh, that really I get really hyper. That's not great because then after the hyperness is the crash. Right. So. Um, how No Donuts in Tokyo came about was I decided in 2012 I was crushing another donut, dozen donuts, Krispy Kreme specifically. And um, I'm still talk, I'm speaking this into existence because I'm going to be sponsored by Krispy Kreme pretty soon. Oh, you are. Absolutely. Yeah, just, just putting it out there. Krispy um, Kreme. And funny, I'm going to be sponsored by Krispy Kreme but not eating the donuts <laughs> of Tokyo. There you but, go. Um, <laughs> so I, would, I was eating a dozen donuts and finally, this was one time it ever happened where I was eating like the fifth donut and I like, because you know, have you had, you've had Krispy Kreme? Oh, yes. You you have one in your hand, and it's already gone, and the next one's in your hand, and it disappears. Air. It's air. It's glazed air. Yeah. So, like, I remember that at one point, my stomach just, like, exploded. I was like, whoa, what just happened? I'm on the floor. Then I fall to the ground. I'm like, yo, I've eaten a thousand donuts in my life. But this is the only one that made my stomach really hurt. Is this how it, And then I was literally on the floor, and a thought came to my mind. Is this how an Olympian would eat? It's like... No. Okay. And in that moment, that was July 2012. In that moment, I was like, I'm not touching another donut until I go to the Olympics in Rio. I had no reason to believe I was going to make it to the Olympics in Rio. I was still just two months out of college. I was a second team All-American. People were asking me why I was still even considering training. But I knew what I, remember, I saw the vision. Yes. So I said, all right, I'm not going to eat donuts until I get off the, on, off, the, uh, off the plane back home from Rio. Four years later, I actually made it happen over the course of life. And then I had some donuts when I got back. And sure enough, when I got back, I had the Krispy Kreme donuts. They were still good, but I only needed three. And I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> and then I was able to like enjoy donuts for like, a, well, I would have like one donut a month, maybe for the first, the few months after, you know, towards the end of 2016, Right. 2017 came around. I'm like, I'm still training for Tokyo, right? Huh. I guess I won't have another donut until Tokyo. And then you branded it. And then I branded it. <laughs> you had the video of the reenactment yes. and everything. Yes. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, you, man. You showed that vision, and and I could relate to it where it's just like, man, what's really making me feel good when I'm going yeah. out there and playing? And over this quarantine, I found a group called Fight Club Lacrosse, where they really? are, it's a group of guys that found a dirt field, and, mm. and it's comprised of D1 and professional players, mm. and you see how they train and how they compete. Right. And I don't know what they do in their free time. I don't know their diets, yeah. but I know that I need to work a little bit harder to yeah. get to that level yeah. and figure out what's going to make me the best version of myself. Yeah. And for me, it was diet. I had already been working out and I've already been making sure that I'm doing the right things for my body in that sense. Mm -hmm. But so much of it, when you get to a certain age, is diet. And yeah. it's tough to be able to do what you want to do out that piece it's huge it's funny you say that like because i've actually been um past three weeks i've been i've been devoted to eating mostly plants throughout my day okay um so i like my diet i'm well, much more mindful of it now but um yeah i've been eating there's three days where i went strictly plants only 
then I crashed because I just I couldn't transition that fast. Right. But I do want to get to a point where I'm fully vegan, or at least eighty percent vegan throughout the week. That would be that's a goal of mine as well. So it's interesting you bring that yeah, up. What did you feel when you went vegetarian for that three just weeks? that three days? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, this is the week three of me like okay, primarily plant based, which. For me, that just means eating the same thing I eat anyway. I always eat lean meat, just eating a lot more plants throughout the day. Okay. First thing I felt was I felt lighter. Um, I felt less gassy. I I know it was good for my body. It just felt I felt lighter. I, that's no other way to say than lighter. As a sprint, someone who sprints, I'm a triple jumper, which means I'm a sprinter who jumps. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who sprints regularly, it's like I felt unburdened. If that makes sense. Like I get up, I'm not really creaky. Yeah, yeah. There's not nearly pops and cracks in my body as much, um, but then as I said, I felt depleted on day three because I just went too hard with the salads and beans. And yeah. Then I was like, okay, <laughs> you still need the back those in. nutritional yes. pieces to exactly eat. Exactly. But um, interestingly enough, I wonder. Like I said, my body is like I could eat sugar and all that stuff, and I've been really good about it in the past few years. But like, I just wonder what if I would have stopped saying because I'm young I can get away with it. What if, yeah, I cut donuts out on the way to, to Rio, which is great. I'm so glad I did that because that's the reason why we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the butterfly effect, right? One small decision. Um, that small decision to at least improve my diet by cutting out donuts, even if I didn't cut out cookies or whatever else, was still so much better than not doing anything at all. I just wonder, what if I would have actually went full, like, if I had the mentality I have now, I would have done that when I was younger. How much better would I have been? How many more times would I have not gotten second place and maybe had the energy to produce a jump that would have got me first in the last round. So I'm glad I'm, I don't linger in the past and beat myself up about it. I'm just more like, at least I'm having these thoughts now because now I can make those actions today. Right. So, yeah. I mean, and it's about the process, too. You're yeah. able to apply that to the rest of your life, even yeah. if it isn't pursuing the Olympics anymore. Right. When you're looking 10 years down the line, you're able to not only apply it to your life, but give so many resources to others and give those tools to the next generation of Olympians yeah. to understand this is how you need to tweak your body. It, it is a machine yeah. and there are so many different ways that you can own it to be the best version of yourself. And when you said to yourself, yeah. would an Olympian do this? Yeah. That's where the mindset starts. Yeah. That's it right there. And it's like, it's, it goes back. I, we're going to talk about vision a thousand times. Like you have to be able to see the vision of what you want to be. And then when life brings an opportunity to you where it kind of questions you to like, do you see yourself as this? If you really want that thing, you need to be able to say yes on a, say yes on a moment, even if it terrifies the living daylights out of you. Yeah. And then trust that you're going to either have the A, the balls, the courage, the gusto, or just the downright want to, to follow that through. So when I was like, is this how an Olympia would eat? I was like, no. All right, well, then the next thought was, okay, I guess I can't eat donuts like this anymore. I'm going to go quick cold turkey. And at that moment, it was like, you know, of course, there were a few months after that, I was like having withdrawals. Like, of course, like, yep. oh, I need donuts. <laughs> <laughs> like Tyrone Biggers scratching my neck. But, um, jokes aside, it was like, okay, look, as those cravings, as those physical cravings for donuts continue to come up, and eventually I was able to work through them. I was able to mindfully like replace the need for donuts with an affirmation that I'm an Olympian. You see what I'm saying? That's transmutation. That's when yes. you start talking about alchemy. I don't know if you want to go all the way over there, but like that's Why like not? This, that's yeah. like yeah, that's when you start taking little inspirations and moments in your daily life and turning them into what you want to see. 
that's gold hanging around your neck for me. Yes. You know I mean? and, yeah. and you can you can translate it to say, oh, I guess this goal isn't attainable now because yeah. I want to eat donuts. You can go yeah. the complete you other could. direction. You could. And so, and that's completely your choice. It is. <laughs> but you and that's have... where you're in the minority. And yeah. they, you have those people that are complacent with their life, and that's yeah. completely fine. Perfectly fine. But for me and you, it's yeah. something that we see something greater in ourselves yeah. that we want to get there and we know we can. Our parents right. gave us the vision to say, you, you are greater than what other people see in you. So you have right. to be accountable for yourself. And I had to say my college coaches as well did the same thing to say, you are responsible for yourself and how you train and we're responsible for the depth chart. There you go. So how are you going to do the best that you can to make sure that you are at the best place that you can be for game day or if you're not, how are you going to support your teammates? It's right. just all of those pieces that go into it to realize it, it really is a, a building process. And if you, like you said, the butterfly effect, if you cut it at one point, you don't know if that's the point that could have made it. Right. Dude. Oh, my goodness. Like, how many times have we asked ourselves, what if, what if, what right. if? And especially right now with COVID, like, I've been from before COVID even struck America. Like, January 14th, I got injured. Like, it's, I've been injured before as an athlete. It happens here and there. But this injury was a freak accident. This wasn't like any past injuries were probably because I wasn't eating well, probably because I wasn't recovering well. This one, I've been eating well. I've been recovering well because I set my mind to it, knowing that I was going into 2020. Um, but then it was just an accident in training. And the accident in training was um, a part of, it was a product of the environment I was in. Where even though I love training with the people I was work, training with and working with the coach I was working with, it just... It was actually really interesting. And I, there's a point to this. Uh, right before I tied my spikes up, and this is 15 minutes before I injured myself, I tied my spikes up and I had this moment where I was like, why am I here? It was weird. It was so weird. I asked myself, why am I here? And, I, and then I look around and I just see all the people running around. And it's kind of like in a movie where like Neo wakes up and that's out of the makeup matrix and just kind of looking around, like seeing the same things but in a different way. And I was like, why am I here? This is not the type, in, in the background, I now see eight months later that this is because the environment I wasn't in wasn't, condu- wasn't creating what I needed to feel sufficient in order to prepare for Tokyo, which was supposed to happen. 15 minutes later, I turned two ligaments in my ankle on an accident in training, which, by the way, happened as a lack of attention to detail in my training environment. Not by just me, not by any, not putting blame on anybody, just it was an environment situation. So I had to, at that point, I had to take responsibility and say, okay, this ha- I have to make a change. This would be before COVID. <laughs> so I went into a cast for like six weeks, and my season, I had a season-ending injury on the Olympic year. And then, lo and behold, COVID comes around, and then they postponed the Olympics for the first time in history, by the yes. way. They couldn't cancel the Olympics before, but they never pushed it back by a year. So I was like, yo, I have a season-ending injury. The one time I have a season-ending injury is when they pushed the Olympics back a full year. Oh, this was meant for me. This is meant for This you. is mine. This shit is mine. So <laughs> at that moment, I was like, Okay, well, I go back to the story about me in that day where I got injured. That was the day where I realized I don't need to be in that training situation anymore. And I was, knowing me, I probably would have tried to play it out, like wait it out, wait out to decide whether I was going to leave later or not. But in that moment, that same day, the universe provided an opportunity for me to say, hey, sit your ass down and think this through. Boom. Ankle sprain. Like two, grade two ankle sprain, high ankle sprain, you're in a cast. You have nothing left to do but to sit and really sit with this, these ideas that you've been having for time, which only became conscious of right before you got injured. 
I had those ideas for months, but I only became conscious of it. I was aware of it in that moment where it's like, okay, not the face. And I decided I'm going to leave that group. Sure enough, I start seeing other opportunities to go elsewhere. Um, same thing with my job. Like, I love the work I was doing. But being the job I was moving, by, it would amount to thousands of pounds of weight because I was moving barbells. And, you know, I was in a um, collegiate strength and different conditioning environment as yeah. a coach. So that would tax me and I was tired. And then I, because that's such a physical job, I was out of work. And then I was late. And then so I actually got cleared for light duty work in like April. And I got laid off, just like you you were mentioning, right? Yes. And I got laid off. And I was like, huh, should I really go back? And then without getting into too much detail, I ended up making one decision to go back and realizing, ah, this is yet another leap of faith. Boom, took another leap of faith. And as you continue taking these scary leaps of faith, they start to build on top of one another where that vision that you've been seeing in your mind starts to come up, gets a little bit more clear. It right. still be pretty fuzzy, but it starts to come a little more clear because where you were remove something that had been taking up a lot of space from you, you now open up space for the new stuff to enter. Right. So yeah, what I mean, were the ideas that you were having beforehand and how did that lead to the decision of changing groups? Because as somebody who's not in the world of track and field, yeah. how do you make that decision of which group you go to train with and what were the ideas that you've now realized led to it? So the ideas were definitely that it was just overcrowded. Track and field is such a highly technical specific sport. So to yes. put it have you played, you played, I know you said you played hockey. Have you played like football before? I have, yes. Okay, so you know on football you have team, you have specialist coaches. So whether you have your receiver, you have the uh, specialist, you have the combo guys, they all have their own coach. And even within that construct, they might have individual coaches, right? Yes, and I don't want anybody on the podcast calling me out, so I play yes. flag football down flag here. So we're <laughs> okay, going to count okay, so that. You, you know, I understand the structure of this. Yes, of the, so same thing yes. with lacrosse, I'm sure, right? Yes. So um, the track and field, it's even more specified where like a coach may coach the long jump and the triple jump, not really be coaching the sprints. Or a coach may coach the sprints and have some there are coaches who can do all the play all their roles, but generally speaking, the more specified and more specific the coach, the more they usually are a little bit more experienced in that um, category. Right. Now again, not going too much detail, but the situation I was in, there was one coach coaching way too many athletes. Mm. One coach. And even in college you have a roster of maybe seven coaches. You got the backup one too, right? So even in even in the context of college coaching, there's always a bunch of coaches so that each coach only has maybe a roster of six to seven people they're training. Coach, and that's in college. You're not talking about professional or Olympic level. Right. Coach I was working with, we're working up to 20, 30 people. So, and it didn't start that way. It didn't start that way. So it's not like I got into a situation which was horrible, but... It slowly over the course of like 12 months, a year, turned into a situation where it's like one coach coaching 20 plus people. And that's why I said like in that moment where I was like, why am I here? I was looking around like, why are there so many people? So that those were the thoughts that I was having for months up to that point where it was probably about four months that I was having those thoughts. And then that's where it climaxed. And then I got hurt. So that's what influenced. Those are the thoughts that influenced it. Then I got hurt and I was like, okay, hey, I can either recover now that, okay, so first I thought my season was over. I was considering retiring because I wanted to retire after Tokyo anyway. I was about, oh, if I'm not competing and the season's over, maybe I should just compete. I was like, so, it's such a different place, right? But then they postponed the Olympics and it's like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. This is, this is literally history in the making. Like, I'm not going to sit. That's when I was like, okay, knowing I'm going to be back in time to train again. Mm-hmm. Knowing I have a whole nother year to get this thing right. 
am I going to go back into the situation that became abundantly clear to me that was the wrong situation, expecting something different, or am I going to be ballsy enough to just say, F it, I'm going to just... I'm going to just go back to my old coach, right. who I trust, who I didn't leave my old coach for any negative reason. I left my old coach because I moved to Atlanta to get on my feet in a different a- aspect of life. So am I going to trust this intuition or am I going to go back to where I'm comfortable? Right. And I was like, you know what? F it. I'm going to bet on myself. I actually put it on my background on my phone. Like, bet on yourself. Like, I'm going to trust that what I'm going to do, even though I'm not used to it and it's not what I'm comfortable with, is going to be better than going back to the comfort zone because... I can't do the same thing expecting something different. Right. You know I mean? Right. So if I do this something different and I fail, then at least I tried something different. I bet on myself versus going back and failing. Then it's like, I have no one to put myself to blame. Yeah, that's crazy. And you have the different ideas that you knew about. And yeah. then you were just able to act on it because you were remaining stagnant. And you don't remain yeah. stagnant. I, I can uh, only imagine what uh, your mindset is <laughs> where it's just like, I have to be moving myself forward. Yeah, because I'm, I've bet on myself before, and I and I yeah. know what I'm capable of. Yeah. So how am I going to keep going? So when you moved down to Atlanta, what fresh start were you looking for, and what kind of things did it provide for you as not only an athlete but also for the mindset and what you were really looking for long term? So that's a great question because the main reason for me moving to Atlanta wasn't rooted in athletics; it was just life. So I was living in inside DC. I've been living in DC for seven years. Okay. Um, and DC is a great place to live. It's my, it's like home. It's where my family moved to. I was born and raised in the area. But as a professional athlete, outside of football or swimming or something like that, um, it's very tough to be a professional track and field athlete in DC from weather. And also, there's not a lot of support structures that support track and field in that area. Couple that with living inside the city is just very expensive. Yeah. It's insane. I don't know how I managed to do it for so long and still make it to the Olympics. But I didn't save as much money as I wanted to do in that process. So again, I was presented with the opportunity, okay, my mom has a house down here. She's like, wanna train while living for Tokyo and come down here. And I was like, huh. At the very least I can move to Atlanta and save some money. So it really was a life thing to be like, okay, let me just get back on my feet financially, save up these this paper like I want to, so I can do i even though as much as I'm driven to be an Olympian and by my goals on as an athlete, I also am a person with a daily life. I always knew that from the beginning of my sports career in seventh grade. So I'm not ever one that's going to sacrifice my actual life for my sports life. You know, um, I'll make some pro- professional life sacrifices that benefit my sports and vice versa. But but at the same time, I'd rather not get into a situation where I'm so seeing so. I mean, I'm seeing the vision, right? But I'm also loose on the details of how the vision comes to that pass. So moving to Atlanta was one of those things where I had to be loose and say, maybe I need to leave the coach who I was with, not because I wanted to leave him, not because I needed to leave him, but because I need to get, if I, if I stay here, the rest of my life is going to fall apart. So I came here and I saved up the money I was, I was talking about. And just so happens it's been about two years. And now I'm like, huh, maybe I do need to go back to my coach in Virginia because in the D.C. area, because now... Whereas I didn't have a lot of the financial support that I needed before to make things come to life together. Now I have that. I've created that for myself. Now I can bet on myself once again. Yes. And if I move back, it's going to be completely different. So it's just very, um, it's learning to trust yourself, but also knowing like you also don't have the answers, which is the best thing ever because then you can start to find them. Right. New solutions. So, yeah. It's yeah. kind of nice when you don't have that structure plan to yeah. make your own and 
just figure out, okay, what, what kind of things am I interested in? And then for you, you scrapped everything before and said, okay, this is, even though I have already been to the Olympics, yeah. I want to find a new avenue to get there and yeah. realize that there are ways to do it in, in a new city. I mean, yeah. you, you taking a risk and moving down here, did you know coaches beforehand coming down here or was yeah. it just like free? I'm, I'm going to be in Atlanta and that's it. Dude, it's funny you say that because, um, as I said, everything, when you take that leap of faith, the universe around you, like the world, whether you want to think universe or God or yep. quantum physics or whatever, it doesn't matter all which the spirit, above. all of it just kind of formulates around you what you've done. Um, cause you're not, we're all connected, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I say that because this is what happened to, I moved, I came down to my mom's place in June, 20, 2018, just to chill. Cause I was like, I need to get out of DC. I need to just, I've been stressed out. I need to get away from the city. Went back to DC, lived in DC from like a few months again. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to move to my, to my mom's crib. I don't care if I'm about to be 30. Like this is for a dream. This is all playing yes. out. So when I'm like a billionaire in 20 years, it makes sense why I did this now, right? That's all. That's a tangent. But anyway, so it's and, and it's happening already. So, um, I was like, "All right, let me let me move to Atlanta, and let me just you know, I'm trying to word it without getting too lost in the sauce. But basically, put it this way: I um I decided to move to Atlanta, and I made that a mental decision. I just said it. Remember, certainty. I said with certainty that I'm moving to Atlanta. I found out that there's a specific coach down here who is an Olympic champion in the long jump who has been coaching other athletes. I was like, huh, if I, I'll move to Atlanta, I'll train with him. That'd be cool. Didn't even think about it anymore. Forgot about it. Come to my birthday, I'm in DC, and I get a call from another coach who I know who happens, he's like, hey, I haven't heard talk to you in a few years. I know I'm spending my time competing for with Nigeria. Say, I don't know. I haven't talked to you in a few years. I don't know where you're living, but if you're ever thinking about moving to Atlanta, we have a group down here. I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, and the coach is this guy. I was like, this is the guy I just said that I, two months earlier, I was yeah. like, oh, if I move down here on a whim, I was like, if I move down here, I'll train with this guy. I get a phone call to train with him on my birthday. You can't make this shit up. So I'm just oh like, my God. wow. So that's why, so to answer your question about whether, when did I realize or did I decide I did decide in my mind who I was going to train with. I didn't care about how. I didn't even think about it. And that's why it happened. Because I let just things move around my decision. Right. Saw it with certainty. Didn't question it. Didn't stay so attached to how it happened. I just knew what was going to happen. And then when I moved to no- November 2018, I ended up starting training with that group. So, And the cool part is, even as we talk right now, this is the very same group that I'm now, I've now left. But it's not on a bad. It's not personal. It's not bad blood. It's just it was it was a season of my life to be here. And while I was in here, remember coming to Atlanta was a life thing. Mm-hmm. So for the two years that I was here, getting my life together, I just so happened to be blessed with a great training situation. And when it's time for me to go back to wherever else the next place is, that training situation came to an end. And the same synergistic and uh, what's the word? Um, what's that word I'm looking for? Oh, serendipitous. Oh, that's serendipitous. not the word I was thinking ser- I love it yeah. much better. It's so much better. <laughs> the same serendipitous way that it came to pass is the same way I move on from it, you know? Just got to be graceful enough to take things as they come without your ego getting in the way. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's huge because I moved down here also on a whim where yeah. my manager at the time said, you got to take a risk when you're combining your passion and your career. Yeah. And as a 22-year-old, I, I didn't know any different. I was like, this is... 
something that I can see myself doing, yeah. and I just left it. It was yeah. like this is this is where I'm meant to be, and everything else came into place. And I stayed here during the quarantine yeah. when a lot of my friends were back home, and it's I'm glad that I did because yeah. I never lost track of what I wanted to produce. Yeah. Whether it's the podcast, whether it's sketching again, yeah. do, finding those little passions, or lacrosse, right? It's all of those things uh, that helped me understand myself better. Yeah. And I think, from what you're telling me, it's what you were able to go through too to yeah. be able to realize, okay, there's nothing personal about leaving this group. There's nothing yeah, no. personal about moving yeah. to Atlanta. I have to make these decisions because I see something greater, and I have to trust my gut. There you go. The gut's so important. That's it. It's it, man. It's like, and I was actually just on a podcast. I did a podcast interview last week where we talked about the same thing. Like, you can, you have these gut moments or these intuitions or these nudges or these synchronicities, whatever you want to, whatever they are. You have these moments where you, like, know what you need to do. And those moments are when you should come to the the, the, the determination of what you're going to do fast. Yes. Those gut moments. Like, when you're on the lacrosse field, and I've, I've tried it. I don't know how you guys can cradle the ball, <laughs> switch sides of the stick with the stick. I don't know how you do that. But if you're sitting there saying, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta rotate my left breast, left and right, left and right, left and right," as you're running, you're not you're gonna not do anything right. Right. You have to let it happen. You have to just be able to do it on a on a switch of a dime. If you think I have to cut left, right, left, then you're gonna tangle over your ankles. You know what I'm saying? Same thing happens in life where it's like, you know, there are things where opportunities where every once in a while you have that enlightening moment. Man, I should man, I should move to Atlanta. Man, I should do this. I should do that. And if that thing seems to get you really excited in that moment, decide to do it right then and there. You know what I'm saying? If this this isn't thinking grow rich. I don't know if you read that book, but if not, I have a copy. I can send you a copy. I would like, love it. Yeah, you need to read that book because I mean, it just you come to decisions very quickly, and by quickly, I mean almost like as quick like a reflexive. If it just seems right, go for it and trust that the rest is going to happen. Because if you allow yourself to sit on a decision for too long, that's how you think yourself out of doing it. You know, thinking yourself out of doing things is a very real concept that I had to learn. I've kind of actually, even over the course of this quarantine, I've like, remember my quarantine began in January right. <laughs> when I was hurt. So right. even the course of my own quarantine into the COVID quarantine, it's like, um, I've learned, it's like, yeah, it's very important to come to these what people will call snap judgments, but they're not just blind snap judgments where it's like, it's foolish. It's snap judgments that you know are the right move because it aligns with where you want to be. And you just don't allow your mind to get in the way of making the decision. Right. And I, I did a little bit of stalking on your, face, or yeah, your Instagram cool. and cool. I saw a Power of Now book as well. Yeah. And that book to me is so important because like we talked about, understanding the moment and then yeah. embracing it it also allows yeah. you to see your vision much clearer as well. Yeah, and if we want to, since you brought it, you brought that up. So yes. we're going to go down that. We are going to go there. Um, <laughs> if you think about in terms of, we're going to talk about in terms of quantum physics. I'm not a quantum physicist. I just read a couple books, and I like talking about it, even though I might I be wrong about it. some stuff. So you have an object or a particle, right? A particle isn't just a thing like a, something you can hold. A particle is an event. A particle is us talking right now. It can be a wave or a particle let me not get too technical put it this way all that exists is now right there's time is there's the talk about space time continuum mm -hmm. right because if you cover space you're covering time and if you're covering time you're covering space why how does that make sense if we're sitting here for two hours 
It may not look like we've left moved anywhere, but the Earth is still moving around the, universe, the galaxy. We're covering space as we're covering time. So if you realize that time is really, as we think of time in terms of clock time, is not it's kind of misleading. All there is is really now. Not going to get too heady, right? But that means then now is you can decide to be what you want to be now. Yes. If you, without putting, I, I can be very worried, but put it this way, you can decide what you want to be now. For me, my first experience was that was, that was, or as an adult, I should say, was, is this how an Olympian would eat? No, I'm an Olympian, right? Okay, this is how I'm going to eat now. You know, because we experience time linearly where it's like we see one event to the next event to the next event. But how things actually happen is when you make a decision now, all the events that you then experience are aligned with that decision and you become that thing over time so it's like you're being led down a path where things happen and things happen and things happen if you continue making those right decisions or those aligned not right or wrong aligned decisions then you become more of that thing you want to be until one day you're like i'm a millionaire now <laughs> which is the same now you said i want you want to become a millionaire it's not really heady but it's, it's kind of simple if you decide now what you want to be you can become that thing you just have to believe it until you become it. Right. And you, know? you mentioned that when you have that idea, that's where it really starts. Yeah. And, and I'm sure I sound ridiculous when I say I want to be a professional lacrosse player. To other people, well, I get it. Exactly. <laughs> and it takes yeah. you believing in yourself first and then realizing, okay, if you have that mindset, then what is somebody else doing in that space? That's yeah. why I was very interested in talking to you. Is yeah. Because, okay, you took something that you believed in yourself and chased after it yeah. full steam ahead and you didn't let anybody yeah. try and take that away from you. You had it inside and it's like, okay, somebody's not believing in you, you can shake yeah. it off and but yeah. internally you can be like, Alright, yeah. I'll see you in a couple of years. See, see what's couple, going on. See you later. I'll catch you on the podium. Exactly. Hey, that's how that's how it goes, man. It's I'll never forget one of the football coaches I had in like ninth tenth grade. I went to a school, tenth grade, was on the varsity team. Long story short, should have been on JD, but we'll leave that in the past um, because I wanted to get playtime. <laughs> but um, I was a small guy, so I zero playtime. And I was one of the fastest guys on the field. I was one of the hardest working in practice. Never got any playtime. Cool. I decided I was not going to quit because I was going to see it through playtime or not. Chose not to quit. A lot of these guys ridiculed. When, that was sophomore year. Then we had track coming after that. And then I always wanted to do track more than football anyway. But So when I decided to go more heavily into football, those same football coaches who were my position, but one of them, never forget them. Coach Rupert, if you're listening to this now, check me out. I'm an Olympian. What you going to say? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he, Rupert. He, he had the audacity, like, what are you going to do on track? Like, <laughs> track is a joke. It's not a real sport. I'm like, okay, cool. Then we go win district chat championships and regional titles. In the first year our school was open where football went 0-10. And, and then come back a few years later, he was like, oh, I get it. Like, yeah, of course you get it. I always saw it. You didn't get it. You know what I'm saying? So you have to see the vision. We've said this 10 times already. See the vision and like, you know, I don't know. It's just like in terms of listening to other people's doubts, as I said, in the quote unquote real world, outside of college, in college, you're around a whole bunch of other student athletes. It's very convenient. When you get out into the working workforce, especially because like as a track athlete or a cross athlete, you're not always going to have those sponsorships that are paying for everything. So to be living among non-athletes as an athlete can be very challenging on your mindset because it's how do you protect your athletic ambitions 
while not being heavily influenced by your environment. And you have to learn how to create that environment of, you know, whether it be by surrounding yourself with books or podcasts or people. Um, yeah, that's... And that's very interesting that that's the point that you make because when you have those coaches that doubt you, yeah. They're the same ones that are adults in the workforce. Yeah. And as you grow yeah. up, you don't get the person that says, what are you going to do with track? You get the people that give you the look and say, what? Yeah. yeah. Same and, thing, yeah. And you, they don't believe in you in a, in a similar way. But in reality, that is something that you continuously have to deal with. You yeah. have to deal with the doubters and realize that, okay, this is something that not everybody sees. Yeah. But when it comes down to... Obviously, the vision is important, but it's sticking through and, yeah. and understanding that, okay, the DMV area with football is some of the best football in the yeah. country, and a lot of it is political. Yes. And so you have to take that, realize at a very young age that this may not be my fault, right. and then continue that where a lot of people in your situation probably would have just yeah. dropped off. It's funny you say that, because like, for me, it wasn't even like, this isn't my fault. I was like, you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, F you. Like. Uh, I'm going to prove you wrong. I love and it. Honestly, I, I, after watching the Last Dance documentary with Michael, you saw that? Of course. Of course. So, right, so after watching that, it's like, oh, I'm not crazy for finding little reasons to get mad at people. Or making people. things up. Making like, things Like when I heard that story, I forgot who who, who he was bullying. Yeah. But for, the sto- for that to all have been a story, I was like, oh, okay, so, oh, that's how he was constantly able. Because like for me, I've like made things up when I was a kid. Like when I was young in track, but then I kind of got away from that. Mm-hmm. Like you said, as you get older, it's like, oh, that's crazy. You start thinking like other people, right? But um, like I've had experiences competing for my country where I've been told by the same coaches on that country's team, like you can't do this. You're not going to make it to that. Like when they left me off the world championship in 2015, I qualified. I got an invitation from the IAAF, which said you're inviting Olu to the le- to compete as a wild card because he has one of the standards. Or he's gotten, he was one of the closest people in the world for the standard. They were like, you wouldn't do well if you went, and it's going to cost too much money to get you there. So we're going to actually leave you home, but we'll, you can compete in six weeks' time at the Congo. I was like, oh, for real? That's how you're going to play me? Cool. I didn't say nothing. I was quiet. Six weeks' time passed. I go to the Congo. We had a conversation in Congo, all African games in the Congo. Didn't say nothing to nobody. My flight was delayed. I got there super late. All these situations and events that were happening were telling me, well, we're trying to tell me this isn't going to work. Because this is my last opportunity to qualify for the Olympics before the 2016 season. Mm-hmm. And I could qualify in the 2016 season, but my goal for that, the 2015 season, was to qualify and get it out of the way. So the last opportunity, I was like, all the events in my life were happening saying, this isn't going to happen, yo. You, you just got to wait. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But I saw the vision. And so I, after 36 hours of travel through four countries and three continents, I arrived with just over a day, just less than a day or just over a day before competition time, six hours and six different time zones away, and I go off, I set a personal best, and I qualify for the Olympics. And those same people who six weeks earlier told me I wasn't good enough to qualify, that I wouldn't make the finals, that I wasn't worth the ticket, now had to look at me buying a ticket to go to Rio. Like, so it's, or to the Olympics at the time. So yes. it's just, it's like, yeah, you have to be able to see the vision and honestly, now, going back to what I was talking about with Michael Jordan, I'm learning to create my own, like, not, not, I'm mentally strong enough now that I can create my own scenarios to get pissed at somebody. Yes. Because for me, when I'm pissed, I compete so well. 
Especially like you as an individual <laughs> yeah, athlete, yeah. you have to make that up. Like yeah. you have to make up a scenario of one of your opponents and be like, yeah. And you know the funny thing about it is like for me, my scenarios rarely even come from my opponents. Because really, I know internally I'm better than everyone else. But like even though performances don't always, you're not always going to be objectively. You're something every even Michael Jordan loses, right? So of course I see I create situations with my opponents. But I guess I guess I put it this way. Let me rephrase that, because I definitely create a lot of situations with my opponents. It's just I could create a lot of situations for my non-athlete comp- opponents as well. Mm. So whereas I'm always looking at that, that guy might have said this about me, and I, yep. even though we definitely he's looking at me, and I think he's gonna punk me. All right, yeah, right? that's cool. But one of my best motivators is like, oh, the team principals don't think I'm worth being here. Oh, that person down the street who I told I was gonna become an Olympian looked at me funny, even though I never seen him again. Like that type of stuff. Oh, that sets me off, man. Every, like, literally nine out of the ten of the times where I've had some type of external factor, a chip on my shoulder going into a competition, either set a personal best or won the competition outright by the distance. Let's go. Yeah, like, it's, (laughs) that's how, like, so I've been really cultivating that for this past four years. As I said, these past four years for me, since 2016 Olympics, have been very mentally taxing. Now I'm at this point where it's like, you know what? I remember this, I have a list. I have a list of people, and I'm keeping wow. a list. I'm keeping a list. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I'm just keeping a list of people, list of names. I love it because yeah. I I feel something similar. Where you you have the people along the way that doubt you. I I mentioned this on another podcast, but there was somebody that when I went back to my high school home, my yeah. home in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, there was somebody who was like, "I can play D three sports. Anybody can." Uh-huh. It's like okay. Okay, and I will never forget just that one moment. Yeah. But then there's so many other made-up scenarios that go along with that. That's like, yeah. Just see what I do. Just yeah. See just, what just I watch. Do. Just watch. Exactly. I'm gonna keep your number. Let me know if you change your number because in about four years' time, huh. <laughs> you, they don't know. They don't, they don't know, because man. they only see what's on the surface. Yeah. And the people that truly have a passion for their passion, yeah, that's where the road is paved, and yeah. you have to start. With that singular moment. Yeah. And so when you have those phases of going through the mental struggles and saying, yeah. okay, well, I have to continuously motivate myself to do that. Are you looking at the events that you go to? So like the all African games in, in Congo or just any competition in general, are you looking to compete for those or are you continuing to look at, all right, this is where I need to be. So I need to keep building along with that. That's a good question. Um, it's always for me where I need to be. Okay. So I'm always looking at the end goal, and then I just see the competitions as yeah. stepping stones to get there, right? Um, it just so happens with track. Um, track, the summer season is always where the championships comes around. Come okay. around. That's all. So we always train to peak at that point in time, put our best performances out. Um, and for me, a lot of my most challenging moments, because like I said, I, compete, I don't compete for U.S. I compete for, I compete for Nigeria. So... A lot of the politics with competing, every every governing body, NBA, the NFL, everybody has their politics, right? So just the politics again of who I compete for, knowing that I'm going to be around them in the summer, and that's also where the most important competitions come. I'm also physically primed, but mentally primed to go screw, I mean, just go wreck shop, right? Yeah. So it's always like, it always happens this way. Like, every time I go to Nigeria for the national championships, someone says something to me, or something happens that just takes me off and I always put it out like it's just, it's just and I'm really like 
I haven't even competed in Nigeria for the past four years between, like I said, I took I took off in 2018. I was injured in 2019, came back late, and got injured again this year. So I haven't competed. Oh, wow. Years will pass like that. I haven't competed. I've trained my ass so many years. Like, you train, 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 and usually how it goes, you train, you compete, train, you compete, at least you track. I've done so much training with so much little competing in the past few years that, like, I'm just so mentally primed right now. And it's like, when I say I do little competing, it's just environmental. Things would happen that would show me that my timing was off. And I've learned to accept that with grace and trust that when it is time to compete, it's a wrap. So this year of 2020, like, it's been like the capstone where it's like that chapter, I've intuitively felt that chapter is finally coming to an end. So 2021, oh, my hit, that hit list? Huh. That hit list is about to get <laughs> you about to get hit up, man. I'm about to be shooting That's it up. Fun. That's yeah, fun. That's fun. It creates that motivation that you just you have to make your own drive, and especially if you're not yeah. able to compete. Like, how, how do you stay up on yourself to make sure? Because you say you have to make sure that you yeah. are constantly primed for those competitions when you don't have them. Yeah. Do you have any tools that keep you going and say this is Dude. what I need to do? Dude. Um, the number one thing, and this is where the four-year cycle of the Olympics is really good. If it was like the NBA where you didn't have a championship every year, maybe it wouldn't be as important to me. But the Olympics is just like, man, I'm trying to word it well. So it's like, it's just knowing that it's a four-year process. I just see every shortcoming as part of that process. And a lot of times things don't go out as I want to. It just has to be another, I said that chocolate up is another part of that process. You know what I'm saying? There's a quote from Jesse Owens. Um, you know Jesse Owens? Yes. For those who don't know him, he's one of the greatest American Olympians of all time, right? Yep. Um, track guy. And he said, this quote, I didn't see this quote until after I came back from Rio. I saw it in a museum. It said, the road to the Olympics does not lead to Nazi Germany or Berlin or whatever that was. But then the second part of the quote was, he said, the road to the Olympics leads, in the end, to the best that's within us. And for me, having gone through that exact same thing where I was like, no. It was like almost like Jesse Owens was in the flesh telling me that after I came back. Like, yeah, you did what you had to do. This is why it went that way. And so when I realized that, that it's not just about going to the track in Japan. It's not just about lacing up spikes and getting to the top of the podium. It's about that journey of overcoming those daily like those really tough yes. situations and environments that have nothing to do with sport and still staying um, fervent with your dreams, that's what keeps me motivated. That's where it's like, it's in, I, like for me, intrinsic motivation is number one. I've always been intrinsically motivated since I was a kid. And where that comes from, I mean, I guess my parents, but honestly, I can't even point it point exact finger to yeah. it. Maybe my ancestral, it's I don't know. Culmination it's a, of it's things. A culmination of things, right? But. As far as in the micro, that intrinsic motivation is why I, 2016 was cool, went to the Olympics. 2017, I competed overseas, I jumped pretty well, didn't get to any international competitions as I wanted to because I forgot what happened in 2017. That was like something for whatever happened that summer. 2018, um, supposed to go to the Commonwealth Games. Had uh, That's when I had a, not even an injury, but another off-life thing that, had me, that canceled everything else. 2019, I had got injured in January, which was with the first part with this new training group. And without going through all the details again of 2020, it's just like, okay, 
each time my dream has been delayed, but not denied. Because each time I went through that, those cycles, I was still focused on Tokyo, even if I wasn't able to compete that year. Then I had a season-ending injury this year, and that still, that dream still isn't dead. So look at that. I mean, just like you, at this point, I'm so trusting in a power that's bigger than me, but at the same time within me, um, that I'm not really afraid of anything. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because it is within. Yeah, and I want to I want to wanna touch on that real quick, just because it's not even about not being afraid. I don't want to mislead people. No. I'd be free from the stuff all the time, but it's that when I say unafraid, fearlessness, fearlessness to me is not being afraid of an outcome, but it's going towards that fear. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, it's terrifying to move to Atlanta. Oh, I'm gonna do it anyway. And it's terrifying to keep training, knowing my ankle isn't where it used to be. Well, I'm going to keep training anyway. It's, that's fearlessness. Fearlessness is in, in action, not really just an attribute that's static for me. Right, yeah. absolutely. And when you have a sport that's so individual, it's hard for me to understand how it can be political. Because yeah. for me, as an outsider, you have a time or a distance that you are jumping, and it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, it is. It's subjective, right? So how does it get political? Um... Put it this way, uh, <laughs> you, are, you are the athlete who qualifies, which is cool, but as the athlete who qualifies, that means your team still has to make the choice to approve your qualification. And then if they approve your qualification, they still have to make the choice to fund your tickets to get to the competition. And if they get you to the competition, then there's still the logistics of getting your, your equipment on the site. And they get you your equipment on site, then there's still the logistics of getting paid when you're on the site so you can have your per diem. There's so many other steps. And this is all talking specifically with my own country. Again, I can be for Nigeria. And this is not to drag Nigeria under the bus. This is just what it is. Now, the U.S., they have their own politic, political system. Everywhere everywhere you go, there's politics. It's just right. it's unfortunately how the world currently works. And I don't want to divulge any sources, but yeah. somebody told me that uh, when they were training for U.S. track and yeah. field, there's a lot of juicing that goes on, and that's becomes really tough. Yeah, and it's something that you know, if you're not on that level, it becomes very political because yeah. they know what it can do for you, and that's something that. And we can definitely edit this yeah, out if you want. If I mean, yeah, this, but, this, yeah, this is cool with me. I mean, keep it if you want to, leave it if you don't, or delete it if you don't. No, but, I'm good with it. So it's just when it comes to doping and stuff. For me, it's like if I knew that I was cheating. There wouldn't be any point to doing it. Like, I want to see how far I can go with the body that I was born into, right? And doing it as naturally as possible. That's what we're talking about, being vegan. Why would I be vegan and then go get shots at my, my butt cheek? Like, well, it can make you a better athlete. It could. But at the same time, at what cost? Mm. Because uh, there's the other side where we talked about earlier. I'm still a human off the track. You know? The, my, my brand is called The Daily Athlete because I have a daily life too, you know? So, but as far as, like, all that type of stuff goes, it's just... Think about it this way, going in terms of politics. Remember how Michael Jordan was saying, like, he was winning, but they still try to, uh, I forgot which year it was, they were still trying to limit his minutes on the court. Yeah. He knew he was good. He knew his foot was good after he got injured. They're still trying to limit his minutes. What's his name? Um, the short, fat guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, he shall not be named. Yeah, him. <laughs> he, the, um, if you've seen the documentary, yes, they, I, they know I, who we're talking I'm about. I'm looking at his face. Yeah. And I'm just like, Ugh. It's the same guy in Space Jam. Who's yes. The, yeah. Yes. The ogre guy. Yes, the ogre guy. So, <laughs> that's so funny. Wow. Didn't even just put that together until now. But, um, is it, yeah, like, 
you would think that his goal is just to win at all costs, right? You would think. You would think, but there's still other individual motivations that seem to override the actual athlete. So. Right, and that's that's sad, and it's tough as the athlete who, from such a young age, you have that vision, and yeah. then somebody else is going to tell you that one thing you did or didn't even do, but it's yeah. that higher power of saying, no, we, we can't fund your ticket. Like, that to me is mind-boggling yeah. if you've done every step to do what it takes to represent your country yeah. and then they're not going to fund your ticket oh man that's the whole whew, man that was for me that was um that was frustrating there's a whole saga that you can easily find on the internet about it um in terms of making light of it because it's in the past and i've learned from it i will say this they Decided they were end up going to do it after stories came out that people were complaining. Do what? Um, so end up funding the tickets to, just to get to Rio. But um, for me, it taught me the lesson that I should not be dependent on anybody for my finances as an athlete. Period. Mm. And that might mean I have to take the harder route. So actually, so that was 2016, right? That was between June and August 2016. I had the African Championships and the Olympic Games. I had to pay for my tickets to South Africa from London when I was staying there. And I had to pay for a ticket from D.C. to Rio. And it was in those moments where I paid close to $4,000 of my own tip money for tickets. Which is to say, I paid my two months of my rent out. <laughs> so, and I had to trust that they were going to reimburse me. when they said they were, and they didn't. Um, those lessons... Are you kidding me? Yeah. So those lessons planted the seed for me to become an entrepreneur after I left Rio. Because it was like, okay, if that's the case, first of all, being a professional athlete in an individual sport, you have to look at your sport as an entrepreneur. It's exactly the same thing. Like, there's no difference between being an entrepreneur who wants to build um, the next tech successful tech company to being the Olympic athlete who wants to be the next gold medalist. It's you have to take that same fervent approach, right? So, knowing that, I was like, okay, well, let me monetize my life as an Olympic athlete yes. so that when it does come to Tokyo 2020 or 21 or any other meet where there might be a question of we don't have the money to pay for you, let me just have that money. Don't even trip. I'll buy my own ticket. You can pay me back. Great. I'll get that money back. Because a lot of people would say, I won't do that. I won't do that. I'll never do that. They have their own motivations. I'll never judge somebody else for their own motivation. But for me, as an athlete, my number one goal is to compete and be my best on the track. Yes. So if the, if the impediment to that is a plane ticket, then fuck it, I'm buying a plane ticket. You know what I'm saying? And I'll have to deal with the repercussions on the other side. But knowing I'm going to have to be buying a lot of plane tickets, let me create a system that plane tickets aren't going to be a problem for me. So I love yeah. it. How do you structure that system to understand? Because from, from my perspective, again... Yeah. You are obligated as the governing body to pay for the ticket to compete. So if yeah. you are having to pay out of your own pocket, you're still allowed to represent your country? Yeah, I mean, because it's just a plane ticket, really. Um, a lot of times, uh, you don't have to go far to learn about the corruption in Nigeria's government. Just completely unrelated sports. You can go all the way back to the reason behind it, behind colonialization and all that stuff. But put, put, put it simply... There's a lot of corruption and it runs all through the pipelines of all government. Now, the difference between, without getting too, you can edit out this if you want to as well, but. Um, I'm gonna leave it in here if you're comfortable with it. I'm cool with it, man. Like cool. the difference with a lot of different com countries is that in America, corruption is kind of looked at either as doesn't exist and denied or it's normalized. 
right? I'd say more normalized. More normalized, but a lot of people would still argue it doesn't exist. Right. Nigeria, every citizen knows that the government's corrupt. Really? There's no secret. Okay. There's no secret. The government's officials know that the government's corrupt. There's no secret. So, like, I could talk to, and this happens all the time, I meet fellow Nigerians who I'll talk to, like, like, oh, you're Nigerian as well. Let me it's good to meet you. Blah 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 blah. And I'll tell my people from Nigeria, and they're like, "Oh, how is that?" Just because they know that the government. Really? Yes, it's a thing. It's a thing. Just like people like, if you come to America, like if you meet American in another country, American in another country, you're like, man, you miss Chick Fil A, don't you? Yeah, I miss Chick Fil A too. Or you can be from Nigeria, and it's like, oh man, how much money do they owe you? <laughs> That's usually one of the first questions you get because most people understand if you are, because technically, the money I get paid. When I say paid, it's really more so in terms of PM. But the money that comes to my hands through the Nigerian government or through the, the Athletics Association comes from the Nigerian government. And it's coming from the Nigerian government. People know there's got to be some type that is more than more that has been taken away that actually then act what actually reaches your hand. So that's just how it works. That's just how the country tends to work. Right. Well, we have taxes in America, and yeah. that's something that I guess we're used to, where they take money out. How is it different? That so they tax, but they don't. They tax in their own way. Um, and this is not. I'm not even going to talk and put it this way. Here's a story. I was taking a road trip. One of the times I went to Nigeria, I think it was 2015. We were going from one state to another, and Nigeria, um, even though it's one of the richest, it's like the rich country in Africa, GDP wise, but um, you wouldn't be able to tell by its infrastructure because there's no investment. So we're driving a road trip from Delta State to Lagos. And that's a trip that's supposed to take maybe four or five hours. It's going to take about seven. Here's why. I'm driving on this road. It's paved. Driving, driving, driving. And I remember I'm sleeping. And then I wake up. I'm like, holy shit, what's going on? The road is just, there was a, where there was road, it's no more road. <laughs> it's just gone. Like, there's, it's like literally they paved up to a point And we're like, okay, we're done. And here's why. <laughs> like, yes. Like, they literally paved up to a point It's like, okay, no road. Now you have to drive on the road. So why, here's why that happens. In that specific specific section of road, I forgot where it was um, on the, along that, uh, it might have been in a different state but, than Delta State, but the government had won a contract, or no, let me rephrase that. There was a contract that was won from a, a local official's area where they said, we will build this road for, might have been $200,000, $2 million, whatever the number was. I'm gonna throw out random figures, right? So let's say it was $200,000 that they were given to build the road. Probably much more than that. By the time the money had cleared hands from the people who approved it to the governmental, the regional authorities, through the local authorities, to the actual contractors who were building the job, they may have gotten $20,000. So they're going to build $20,000 with the road that should have been $200,000. So if that happens in context of Building a road where people drive and we need to have it safe. What do you think is happening when they're trying to give money for athletes to be paid? You know, it's the same situation. It just gets siphoned off so that what comes is like pennies on the dollar and what should have been given. It's frustrating. That goes back to what I'm saying. It's my choice to compete in Nigeria. I have to deal with it. So I, rather than, of course, I see things being better in the future because I want to do my part in the, maybe the next decade or so. In terms of changing that, um, I, that's one of one of the things I'm very passionate about after I retire about changing that dynamic. But while I'm in it, the way I'm going to change it is not be affected negatively by it. So that might mean I have to be put my own bill a little bit more. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But I since 2016 I've learned to prepare better. So if it does happen, 
whatever. Just swipe the card. Ain't nothing. <laughs> like, That's incredible. Yeah, you have to be able to see past those obstacles. It's just another obstacle. Yeah, and I, I listened to another podcast uh, called Pardon My Take, and they had Akon on, and he was yeah. talking about how he is building a city. Uh, a city. Yeah. And it's so interesting to hear what factors go into that from not only funding, but also building a structured government that is efficient and trustworthy. That's not... And in Africa, there's a lot of distrust with government, and for good reason. You don't have to go... Once again, you don't have to go very far to find out why. And this is not just Nigeria. This is African countries in general. Um, so for him, what he's doing is is revolutionary. And I, I at the same time, I understand his challenge. As a, we- a fellow West African, I understand his challenges because I know what it's like to deal with West African com- countries, right. governments, and I can only imagine the level of like distrust that the people of Senegal might have for that, even though he has the purest intentions for it. Why do you think they would have distrust towards him and... Do you see yourself dealing with the same obstacles if you want to go that route? Um, I'm not. I, I want to say they necessarily have distrust towards him, but more so the environment, that the people he has to work with. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's just like it's just like you could be the protagonist of a movie. You want to do all the greatest stuff ever, but you also still have to deal with some corrupt individuals who, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they have their own agendas, right? Own agendas at heart. So, with that said. I don't think I think it's less of distrust in Akon, more so distrust in the system he has to work with. Now, for me, I almost think it's inevitable that I'm going to be dealing with the distrust because I'm going to have to deal with people I might not be trusting myself. But where my ideas and my inspiration is the grassroots, where start to inspire. It sounds so airy fairy to say inspire the kids, but when I say inspire the kids, I'm talking about actively, like actionably, by giving them shoes. And spikes, so they don't have to run barefoot. By as at one point when I'm a millionaire, building a track where it's just built there, and then creating a system where they maintain it, and we can create jobs there, but for the same people who are going to be using it. Take that same Western capitalist, um, the benefits of capitalism, where you know there's a structure you can create that will create its own self-sufficient. self-sufficient self-sufficient <laughs> cycle of creating income yes. and then take that to Africa where that exists but on such a, an unattainable scale. And then, so that's the beauty of being part of the, the diaspora where it's like diaspora, however you want to pronounce it, where I'm a Nigerian-American who very much Nigerian, just raised in America, hence my accent, hence where I grew up. But at the same time, I know on a, on a spiritual level many of the struggles that some of my relatives and my spiritual relatives are going through back home. So I can take this, these resources I have over here in the U.S. and channel it back to Nigeria in a systematic way. Of course, I have to make sure I'm good before I can give to others. That's not in a negative way. I mean, your cup has to be, have something in it before you pour it out to other people. So I want to make sure I'm doing it systematically. In the meantime, I do it by creating content and sharing and using my creative abilities, same way you are, to give back. Yeah, and to inspire, and, and, and to for inspire. you to be able to use your platform in that way and yeah. show and inspire. I also think education is a huge part of it because I'm sure many kids in that area don't know what real success can be and how to attain it. But in reality, for someone like yourself, you know how attainable it is. You know that it starts with the mindset, with the vision, yeah. and then the education just starts to build on it, and yeah. that becomes everything that you 
wanted it to be, yeah. and even more because you're able to give tools to others. Right, right. I mean, that's really it. I mean, Nigeria has some of the most talented people. Nigeria, they used to say, now they might have said um, Nigeria is Jamaica of Africa, but really, Jamaica is known for their sprinters, of course, but Nigeria used to be running the 80s, late 80s, 90s, was Nigeria. Like, really? Yes. And it was only when governmental corruption really seeped into the sports world that it kind of died down a bit. Um, but Nigeria, How did that affect you? Um, when you take money out of the funding for the athletes, obviously athletes, rather than saying, oh, I'm going to go run track and become an Olympian because at least I can get some money for doing that, where I can support my family and send it back. Oh, I'm not getting money to do this? Let me just go back to being an engineer. Now, Nigeria, some of the most brilliant people in the world. What they, inspiration behind Wakanda and Black Panther comes from a lot of, it's obviously coming from Africa. Might be biased in this. I think a lot of that comes from Nigeria as well. Doctors, lawyers. You take, like, you, so many brilliant minds in Nigeria, so many brilliant bodies in Nigeria. You have kids who are literally born, I mean, literally born into a river, right? Where they'll give birth in the river. So these kids are born into water, grow up 10, 5, 6, 7, 8, they just swim for fun. If they would have had a structured environment where they actually had maybe a decent coach and an actual two-lane lap pool, those kids could become Olympic medalists. That's the vision I see. And there are already, in, there are already entities and people I know personally who I'm fortunate to know. Shout out to um, Mr. Femi Pedro, for example. Like he know He's building these infrastructures right now. But for me, having been the Olympic athlete who's been on both sides, I know that there's some part... There's going to be some spin when I'm really ready to go 100% with that. There's going to be some avenue and angle I can put on it that other people can. Right, and it's also finding the things that they're already doing. Like you said, if, yeah. if they're already in water, keep that going. Just give them the structure. Just give them, some, give them some lanes and right. maybe some chlorine so they don't get sick. That's it. So what's Femi Pedro doing for you that's giving you so a little bit more of that backing? He le- he is one of, a part of the Lego Sports Commission, Lego State Sports Commission, which is... What his, one of his plans are right now are just building more facilities. And he's in a governmental position. So In Nigeria. In Nigeria. Okay. So a lot of the challenges, well, I can't even speak for what he does specifically, um, other than a higher level, 30,000 foot of above view is creating opportunities for homegrown youth to become the next Olympic champions in 20 years' time. And that's something I'm like, yo, it's that. Once, once we really start to invest at home, it's game over. Wow. Yeah, yeah that, that's so important because when you start to see it at a young age, then you realize it's, obtain, it's attainable. And yeah. also, it's the structure around you because there, are, I'm sure, are many times where you get knocked down as an athlete. Yeah. I, I know from my experiences, you get cut from a team, you don't think yeah. that you can go Division One. Those little things, they seem so big at the time. And I'm sure for somebody in Nigeria, when there are even less opportunities and yeah. less of a brand around those things you think of division one athletics that's a brand that's something that you can aspire to and be like i want to be there yeah are they the same kind of brands in nigeria um there are there are and it's just in terms of reaching kids at a primary school level or elementary school level here kids at five years old have an iphone oh we're at home that's crazy i did not know that i mean i mean that's Way too young. Yeah, of course. And that's the thing. <laughs> like, you give a you give a three year old an iPhone, they'll know how to unlock it. Like, it's crazy. But right. Back home, it's not really not to say they're deprived, but that's not it's pervasive. It's like remember, we're still very much in the Western world. And I despise the term third world. I do not refer to my country as a third world country, but it's an African country, which means it's just different. Meaning the culture is different. 
meaning there's Instagram and there are Africans, for example, there are African artists and singers and rappers who never need a, an American dollar in their life. They will be so rich for the rest of their, for generations to come, not needing to even go to America. So there's already wealth in Africa. It's just how do we, how do we get to the minds of the youth before they become so, going back to what we talked about very a while ago, before they become molded by the environment and what they might see. Now, there's a lot of positivity there. Schooling in Nigeria is some of the best in the world. There's a lot of benefits. But in terms of, I would say, a grander scale of what's out there, I don't think a lot of those kids get that. You know? And I kind of want to expose them to that yeah. as best as possible. When you have the education system that's, you say, it's pretty good. Yeah. Where do some kids fall off where they don't have the access or the ability to get that education. Because I think that's where it starts, and especially what we're seeing in America, where there's redlining. You have the separation of certain communities from the education that I feel everybody deserves. So with Nigeria, it's different because a lot of the redlining you hear about in the U.S. is based on completely on racism. Yes. Now, like systematic racism. Africa has its, Nigeria, Africa especially in Nigeria in its own microcosm, has its own issues that do derive from the systems of um, systematic states, uh, racism, as well as colonialism, but not necessarily as in your face about color, because everybody everybody on the element is black, right? It's more of a class thing. So it being a class thing, school is driven, 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 driven. Sports are just a luxury. Mm. So the at home, people are gonna be like, go to school, go to school, go to school. We, Nigeria spits out lawyers, engineers every every five minutes, right? Education really isn't the issue. It's just that there's a lack of awareness that there's so, so many other opportunities. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm saying going back to sport, allowing, creating systems where people realize, yes, you can go to study to become an engineer. You can also use sports to pay for your engineering degree, even if you don't want to become an Olympian. You see what I'm saying? Yes. That's not really, there's no, they're not like athletic scholarships like that. There's no NCAA like that. You know what I'm saying? So that is where I'm like, those are more opportunities. Because I'm not saying, hey, kid, don't go be an engineer, be an athlete. No. But I'm saying be an engineer. Use the sports as a vehicle to get you there. Yes. Realize you don't have to just go to school. You can go to school and get that paid for by jumping into sand, which you, while you're studying for this $100,000, $400,000 engineering degree. Right. That's if people realize that, and we, people know that, but like, I don't, there's no real systems in place. And there are people I know who are building those systems as I speak, which is great. So I would like to see that progression of that in the next couple decades. Yeah, that's incredible because one, there's so many things that you can gain from sports that can translate into the other aspects, but also right. it allows you to have a block and yeah. say, I'm doing this for this hour yeah. and a half, either training or competing, right. and you get to forget about the rest of the world and completely lock yeah, in to whatever competition you're in, whether it's internally or externally, but this is where my mind is going, and when you don't have that, if you get consumed, that can also lead to a burnout, and yeah. that's tough. Yeah, yeah, it's being being versatile. Is yes. And so I think at, being this athlete is just another aspect of versatility. I'm a creative as well. Creator, I prefer to some creator than creative, but that's a, that's just me and my own yeah. personal things. But like, I think being versatile 
is, yeah. I mean, it's important. Yeah. It's vital. So well, the universe, like, I'm not saying this, you said it, the universe yeah. lives within all of us. We all have yeah. everything within us if we are yeah. willing to go there and you chase that fear yeah. that all of a sudden you, you realize it's just made up. I remember a, a classmate of mine in sixth grade, I was telling my dad about this yesterday, that said, my handwriting was girly and mm. that hurt me and it probably ruined my creative energy for the next yes. five years. Yes. And once I found that again, I realized, oh my gosh, one, it's fun. Mm -hmm. I can two, apply it to a lot of different aspects of my life and three, other people get enjoyment out of it. There you and go. so when I was able to figure out that I just was complacent with that fear I, when you, you learn to go towards that. Yes. And then when you get beyond, when you get beyond it, that's, the, that's when things just break off. Oh, my God. Your bosses. Like, when you get to, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, I didn't get really in touch with my creative side again until, like, 24, 25. Um, but as a kid, I was thinking drawing, sketching, music, art, paint, everything, anything, anything. Um, but obviously, you know, life experiences kind of beat that creative gene out. No, let me rephrase that. Creative gene's always there. It's not going anywhere. It can't be beaten out. But beat the passion for it out throughout my high school. No, not high school, but more like college years. And then after college is where I like really kind of leaned back into it. But um, dude, leverage that, man. Like you're already doing it right now. You have a podcast. You have common intellectual as a brand. You're doing this at 23 years old. I mean, hey, I don't know how old professional lacrosse players are, but assuming you want to do this until you're 30-something, you starting at 23, it's a wrap. It's a game over. Like, If I would have started this when I was 20, 23, I would have had you come to my mansion. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because I see now the moves that I'm making are leading to where I'm going to be. But obviously, if I would have started sooner. But not saying that's a regret. I'm just saying you are on the right path. <laughs> well, it's, it's about understanding what others' experiences are and then yeah. catering it to your own because yeah. you just understood it a couple years after you wanted to. And, and it's right. not even after you wanted no, to. No, it's, it's, it's when I found it. Exactly. You, you found, found it at a certain yeah. time and I found it at a certain time because there happened to be a pandemic that happened. Like yeah. I can't control that. Yeah. I didn't know that this is what was going to happen. Yeah, I'm yeah. fortunate enough to have the people around me to motivate me and say, you know, this is, this is good. And then, that affirmation is like, okay, I know this is good. I want to keep that feeling going. And so let's let's figure out where we can tap into and also just realize that we're all capable of these things. We're yeah. all capable of being able to make other people happy, but also make ourselves happy on, on a daily basis. And if I don't go to bed and realize, okay, I did something for myself today, then I feel like I had lost that day. Yeah. And it's so important. But I'm just realizing it at a different time, just yeah. like yourself. Yeah, realize but we don't realize anything a day sooner than we're supposed to. Yes. So, so we realize that, and it's like, oh, okay, right. No, so how did you start to build your social media campaign? Because it's something that when I went on your social media, it has your name, and then it has O L Y at the end yeah. of it, and so that I, you're branding yourself as an Olympian, yeah. which you are, which you should be proud of. Which, yeah. whenever somebody looks at that, it's like. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this is different. It carries a little bit of weight too. Huge. Weight. Yeah. Um, I obviously when you make it to the Olympics and you compete, you're allowed. Well, you can apply for your OOI credential or what do they call it, recognition. Um, 
So as soon as I realized, like, oh, wait, I can put that behind my name, shoot, I'm doing it. Yes. Um, because just even with the context of this conversation, these are conversations I was having when I was 23 as well. Maybe not in the same, you know, same topic specifically, but the depth. And being, I'm sure you know, being 23, less than you're surrounded by these people, most people your age, most people in your 20s aren't really talking about things as we're talking about right now. No, right? they're very scared of these conversations. Scared of them, uninterested in them, whatever the case might be, right? So by putting that credential, it brings that weight. It's like when I'm talking about mindset, people are like, oh, oh, okay, he's proved it. He's living. Now, I'm not big. I, I believe in myself. I'm confident. I like to talk properly. I like to speak of my accomplishments confidently, but I'm not one to gloat. But every once in a while, you just got to let people know where you're coming from. Right? Yes. And that's that's just throwing that down like, yo, yeah, by the way, this is why I speak on how I speak because I've been there. And I'm doing it. I'm not just talking. I'm moving. You know right. And especially yeah. as somebody who's younger, you have to validate. When you step into a room, you have to prove yourself and yeah. say, this is this is what I come to the table with and this yeah. is why I'm credible. Yeah, man. And that's the thing because, you know, podcasting space thousand one people making a podcast oh my gosh yeah how are you gonna stand out social media thousand one people making a podcast every day so for me i realized i wasn't even like i don't even really need to stand out per se anymore my whole goal now is like if i stand out it's only the people that need to see it there was a while with my social media where um i would post something and everybody i'm sure everybody goes to this and i want to get like 100 likes in the first 20 minutes i'm like Oh my God! What is going on? And I realized how fucking stupid is that? Yeah. Fuck that shit. I'm getting kind of. You got me open. You're talking for a while, so I'm not getting to like the real me. Like, fuck that. Like, I'm sorry if you have to edit that. Too, I don't. Mean? Okay, good. Like, like, fuck that bullshit, man. Like, come on, yo. If I'm posting this because I want to post it. Yes. I want to post a picture of me sewing a mask that I made with my mom on my sewing machine. Post it. Somebody's going to find it awesome. If I want to post a video of me driving the Porsche at the track, which is something I want to do since I was a kid, I'm going to post it. And if I want to post a training video where that tends to be what people like to see from me most, I'm going to post that too. All that matters is I'm going to post what's really aligned with what I want to do because it's a reflection of me. Otherwise, it's fake. Mm -hmm. And the people who are meant to see it will see it. So that's why with No Donuts to Tokyo, I only another thing with me is my social media... A lot of people say you have to post every week, you have to post consistently. When you're building your brain, you do have to be consistent. And I'm working on that. But also, I only post or create. I create all the time, but I only post when I'm led to do it. Because I don't want to just add anything to the fluff. That being said, when I do post, I make sure that I speak from my own perspective. And it's something that maybe 10 people will gloss over, but that 11 person will see it and connect with it. Whether they double tap it or not, if they connect with it, my job is done. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's almost not standing out. Which does stand out. Okay. It's almost standing in. Yeah. And standing within yourself and understanding that you hold the power of whatever you're experiencing in your life. Yeah. That's powerful. Like yeah, you, you are powerful. I'd like to consider myself powerful. You are. Because yeah. we're all humans. We're all capable of something that somebody else is not. And so it's our job to provide that inspiration and really pull 
that out of somebody else, but right. you're standing within yourself. Right, right. And you can't do anything without when you're standing outside of yourself. Right. As far as you said, all right, not standing in, but you're stand, not standing out, but standing in within yourself. I like that. Oh, I okay, appreciate now. it. Yeah, okay, yeah. You, better, you better use something with that. And you're going to take that one out. We'll make some artworks or something. Do it. That'll be dope. I will. Because um, that's really it. Like, And of course, you are confident enough to stand on what you believe in because it comes from within. And it's going to attract the other people who are like-minded. And you realize there's so many more of them than you would have imagined. Right. That's how I'm bu- So I call, like, even though I'm building the No Donuts of Tokyo brand, which is really a subsidiary of the Daily Athlete, which is all, not to get too complicated, but all one and the same, um, I'm building it from within. That's why, that's my tag. Building from within. Building from within. Building from within. Adding people to the, because I have a, a group, which, by the way, I'm going to send you, um, it's a, I call it a focus group, but it's really just a group of people who just, we share our ideas and I yeah. share off, I share a lot of things I agree with them first before I do anything else with them. So I'll add you to that group, but, um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Like it's, it's all about building from within and finding like-minded people that are going to join and they will get to it rather than trying to get, just loop everybody in. Come like my page, come join me. No, yeah. I, I don't, I don't. I don't promote my posts. I might promote a post one day if it's like I'm sponsored by Porsche now. Cool. But like, <laughs> but um, like when it comes to no donuts in Tokyo, I don't promote the posts. I don't, I don't, I don't say, I might post something say, hey, come join this. And people don't, sure. I don't, I don't care. I, like I used to care about that stuff. I saw how far off my path it took me. And I'm just like, you know what? I got a group of about 12 to 15 people who are just love I could write the ABCs and they want it. Like that's who I create. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? Because they're versions of me. We're all connected. Those are like my soul people. The podcast I'm talking about was actually with one of my my sports psychologists. Um but she is at one point we talk about that, about conserving your energy and letting it out when it's time. Yes. Right? So because you've already spent the energy thinking about yes, it. Why do you have to waste any more? And then oftentimes <laughs> when you share it with people who don't get it, they will detract from you. And then there's, it's almost like they're whittling pieces away from your dream. So mm. conserve that. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that with me. That's very important because I already see you as one of these soul family I'm talking about just because how we're connected. But also, you just mentioned media company. The Daily Athlete is media. I didn't see that. I didn't know that's what it was when I first established it. I didn't know that's where I was leading to, but it's something that's been, I established it April 27, 2017, after I woke up from a dream and just seemed right. That's awesome. I just like, you know, F it. I don't want to step, start my own business. Let me just make the daily FD LLC. Boom. Did it. From that point, it started as, I still, I run all of my, my independent contracting and um, self-employed stuff through it, but really that's just on the back end. On the front end, it's a media company where I write articles, I blog, do blogs, YouTube videos, just getting... The, the whole thing is I'm a communicator. The media, whether it's written, or visual, or audio, or audible rather, is the actual creation being shared out, right? So yeah. that's what The Daily Athlete is about. It's kind of geared towards... Um, more sort of geared towards athletes, obviously. And this conversation is The Daily Athlete, this one. The stuff we're talking about right now. So where the whole inspiration, aside from it just being in a dream, it's more so, you know, we're athletes, but we also have a daily life. We have to wake up in the morning before we even go 
We have to brush our teeth. We have to eat. We have a daily life to live. On the other hand, we are also athletes. And what you do every day in your daily life benefits yourself as an athlete. What you do as an athlete benefits what you do in your daily life. Yes. Vice versa. Um, I'm currently, like, in the extended process of just rebranding and, like, getting the logos redone. Because everything's just like you. Everything I did was just scratch. I've never paid anybody. I paid one person for that for the No Donuts in Tokyo logo. But even that, I sketched out myself. And first. if you ever need sketches, I'm happy to do sketches. Dude, for you. I've got I an would, iPad. That's why. I and I saw, I saw your page. Like I love your lettering, dude. Like, Thank you. So you, you let me going, know what visions you gonna, have, and I'll draw it. You it's know, easy. we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna. There's a reason why that. There's a reason. There's a reason it's why we have that. Day. It's, it's wild. Universal shit, man. It's we're connected. Crazy. It's we're connected, dude. It's it's really it's really crazy, man. And yeah, so that's the daily athlete in a nutshell. Um, I'm still building it. What the daily athlete is, as I said, No Donuts to Tokyo and the Daily Athlete. How does that relate? No Donuts to Tokyo is like, at first, once again, it just came as an idea. Let me just follow through with it. Um, but then when I branded, I was like, okay, this is really just me creating specific content about my journey to Tokyo. Where right now, me getting injured just made it so much juicier. Never could have planned it. Yep. Never could have planned it. But now, that made it so much juicier. It's really just me documenting that process between vlogging or and I need to get a little bit more consistent with it in terms of creating visuals, but that's also because I need a computer. Side, side note. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's the no yeah. donuts to Tokyo yeah. specifically that. And then the Daily Athlete is the parent company behind that. Movie. I love it. You see that? Yeah. So as far as the branding goes, um, I'm still working on getting the visual package right. I love the colors. I'll show you the website. The colors are really black and gold. Even this. this that's beautiful. Here. And I love the dimension of it too. Yeah. So... Black and gold, gold because gold. <laughs> yep, gold that, metal. That's, that's the vision. Um, but yeah, so that's more so it. So where do you? I think it's so true. So I know that, it's like so true. Color scheme. And all that oh, stuff. I love it. Yeah. yeah, simple as that. And, and it is simple, and, and people yeah. buy into that simplicity also. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so relatable when you have uh, the idea that we are all humans. But yeah. yet we are athletes, and so often you see, and I think it's more clear than ever yeah. when you go into a pandemic that sports are now not essential. You were yeah. categorized as non essential. So when you see NBA players, when you see NHL players, and any other sport, you realize that they had to sit in this the same way I did yeah. and wonder what is going to come tomorrow. And there's a human element to that. Yes. Yes. That's so real. And, and a lot of people forget that. Oh, my God. And that's a dangerous thing. Especially when you're an Olympic athlete and you're put on that platform Bro. once every four years. Bro, you need to watch The the Weight of Gold. Have mm. you heard of it? I have not. It's a documentary on HBO with Michael Phelps and a bunch of other Olympic athletes. I love Just it. talking about the, mate, the weight of training as an Olympic athlete. It's, it's heavy stuff. It's not like lighthearted. I'll say that right now. It's very heavy stuff. But when you watch it, it's like I almost everything they said, I was like, Jeez, I'm not alone. Yeah. Like, even down to, like, the really dark places of, like, having thoughts where you're like, should I be thinking this? Like, that, and that's why the daily athlete for me is so important because I have to remember, now, I don't, I've always, I said, I said earlier, I started my, started my sports career knowing I was more than an athlete. But even then, it's about not letting my identity become so wrapped up in just being an athlete. Understanding that, I'm going to retire from sports. What less, What am I going to have left? So the daily athlete, the no donuts to t- Tokyo, takes me up and through the Tokyo Olympics. Beyond that, the daily athlete carries me further off out when I'm retired. You know what I mean? As an athlete. 
Yeah. What do you so, want to put on the daily athlete? Um, what I want to do as far as... Well, you say it's the daily athlete, so what is it for a daily basis that you want to provide athletes? Dude, I want them to understand. I want to provide, whether it be inspiration in the form of like the actual content, but truthfully, deep down, let's put it this way, the why. Love it. The why of the daily athlete yes. is for athletes of all ages, especially the younger ones in the formative years, I'd say really from like 11th grade to college your age, to understand that, hey... As much as you love this, your sport, there's life outside of your sport. But that doesn't mean you give up on your sport. It right. means if you learn to become, learn to master your mind to the point that you can use your sport to benefit you off of off your playing field. Yes. And use your mind well enough to you, that you can understand that you can use your daily life off the playing field to benefit yourself on the sport. Who you are on the playing field is no different from who you are off the playing field. The same person. There's a book called The Mindful Athlete that you should read if you're interested in more than that. Yes. And I've got to, two books from you now and a, and a TV show. I, I, have, love. A, I have a whole list. Let's I go. List. I love it. And so that whole concept, let's go deeper. So we're talking about who you are you're the same person. Okay, that means if you're that guy who, and I had to tell my young cousin this, he plays soccer. He's about to play soccer. He wants to play soccer at Penn State. I told him all the time, like, yo, Toby, his name's Toby. And, um, You and I play Smash Brothers, right? I'm a, I love playing games. We play Super Smash Brothers. I've been playing this game since before you were born. So when we play, I'm going to wash you. <laughs> and I guess what happens? I wash you. And sometimes he'll beat me. But then I'll come back and wash me even worse, right? And he'll get really frustrated and flustered. And I'm like, he'll get mad when he sees that I get hit to his game. And I start outsmarting him. And I'll get really mad about it. And I'm like, Tony, that's the same thing that probably happened when you are playing soccer. He's like, how'd you know? I'm like, because if it pisses you off here, it's going to piss you off there because we're not. While we're talking about video games here and we're talking about soccer there, two completely different things, really it's all the same thing. When you're encountering frustration, how do you react? All things lead to one thing in this inside anyway. So if I'm saying right here, like, for example, I can make it, I'm walking into this, oh, I'm looking at this little painting on the wall. That's a nice little mural. Oh man, that, that mural, those flowers is beautiful. Man, I'll never be able to make something that beautiful in my life. Well, then, isn't that the same thing as when I get to the track and I'm like, that guy just jumped the most beautiful looking triple jump and it was a world record. I'll never be able to do that in my life. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So that's a real deep, like, deep, deep level. But the surface level is just becoming more mindful and daily practice, providing actionable ways for people to do that. When I started coaching down here in Atlanta, uh, I had a team of, rising freshmen in high school yeah. uh, players. And the first thing I told them, I said, we, you guys need to hold yourselves accountable. And you also, if you don't understand something, need to ask why. Yes. Because there is a why behind everything. Yeah. And I remember my coaches never saying that directly. But as I grew up, I understood why. Yeah. And I want to share that with those kids. And they asked. They asked yeah. more questions. They were more interested. And by the end, parents were coming up to me saying, oh, my yeah. gosh, they, my son got so much out of the season. And it's because they understood. We're all humans in this. Yeah, we're all trying to grow. And if you can provide that little lesson to your cousin and to my team, yeah. it allows them to be more prepared. And like I said earlier, yeah. you have that next generation of athletes coming in better than ourselves. There you go. There you go. And if you take that same concept, 
imagine these this generation of athletes, these lacrosse players, you have that have no ambitions of playing pro. Maybe they're just playing right now. Don't ever want to play high school or college lacrosse. Cool. That lesson you just gave them, they can take to when they go to study to be a biochemist or to be an architect or whatever. It translates to everything. Right, so, and one of the biggest issues in lacrosse is not having a league that supports the players. Yeah, they don't pay their players yeah. very well, and they don't market very well. And right. so, a player who played in major league lacrosse left and started his own league, the Premier yeah. Lacrosse League, okay. and he ended up branding it so well and doing social media content around yeah. it and making it a, a company that's based in LA, so it has the tech buzz around it. You get the investment yeah. dollars from capital investors, right. and then all of a sudden, it's Boom. big. There you and go. people buy into it, and then money comes around. So the people that now play in the Premier Lacrosse League, if they want to make more money, they work for the brand, which is building the building from the inside out. There you go. Like that's, I've heard of it. I didn't know that's that. I didn't know the story behind it. That's yeah. crazy. And so I, I, I'm going to have a player from that league who I trained with over the summer in the Fight Club Lacrosse yeah. team, and I want to ask him how did you learn what they were doing what their vision was yeah. long term and how did they get that buy-in because in reality that's how you and i grow our yeah. brands you want to buy people in and you want right. to get people to buy in rather and right. so when you start with that vision how do you get people to buy in? is it consistency because yeah. if you're starting it from scratch and you have nothing to show for it how do you get people to buy in that's tough dude honestly i'm still answering that question every day yeah i mean because like i said with consistency is awesome you find you discover things the more consistent you are. Right, it's very true. Um, and I admit, I will first admit, I need to be more. Like I said, I need to be more consistent with the posting on, not just really the posting, but like with the with the posting of what I've created. Because the thing is, I have people ask me why, where's that book you're talking about, and all this stuff. I'm like, you're right. I've written, I write every almost every single day. Well, I do write every single one of my journals. Yes, I actually write like article type stuff. Yeah. I have so many unfinished articles and other finished pieces of work that I don't even know if they're articles or blog posts in general. But I sometimes get caught in analysis paralysis where I don't just post it. And so, what is this? You talked about the daily athlete and at yeah. the beginning of the quarantine, this was not planned. I have not really? met you. I started something called the daily sheet that I really? just write down everything that I have going on in the day and what I have done and I brand every single day the daily sheet wow and it's so extensive but yet for my mind i need it need it yes to stay structured and then i start doing stuff more productively and it starts with the daily basis the daily yep. idea of this is what i need to attack there you go and as an athlete i connect with that so well when yeah, you man. say the name daily athlete a light bulb pop that's, up that's like, that's it came, so when I say it came from a dream, man, that's wild. You, you want to know the real story behind it? I do. I wrote it in a blog post on the website, as a matter of fact. Glad I told you this because I almost wanted to delete the blog post. As I'm you should not delete anything. It's meant there for there a reason. There you go. There you go. See, look at that. You're giving me game two. I got you. Um, so, I, me and my sister, we would grow, and this is going to get deep. My sister and I used to find the four-leaf clovers all the time growing up. My neighbors would never find them. My dad would walk outside and pluck a four-leaf clover while we'd be looking for them. And eventually, we got good at finding them. Like, people were like, oh, four-leaf clovers don't exist. we find them every day. And so, when I was in eighth grade, I'll never forget, I was one of my best friends. Um, he's actually in the picture on the website, too. And I was like, yo, hey, Thomas, I'm going to find a four-leaf clover before this race. 
He's like, no, both those two exist. We don't have to find one. And I hadn't found a 4D clover for like maybe a year or two up to that point, but I found one. And he went to his race while I found it. So I put it in my pant, like my little Under Armour shorts. And I ran my race. And I am getting second, ran a personal best. And then go back to show Thomas, we call him Ray Ray, and it's gone. I was like, shit. A few months later, my sister dies. Right? So this is when I was 13 years old. And then, so from that, that remember I told you I had some things growing up where I run into issues where I'm not necessarily diving into my creativity as much. So I kind of stepped away from that unconsciously as a kid. It took me years to get back to it, right? Fast forward to April 27, 2017. I wake up that morning and I, I had been fired from my job at Georgetown after the Olympics. I was coaching track at the D1 University up there. Fired for that because essentially I wasn't there over the summer. Lots of other things going on as well. Specifics aside, got fired from that job. That's when we started the entrepreneurial journey with the seeds that were planted. A few months later, come to April of 2017, I wake up, I'm like, I'm an athlete every day. I'm an athlete every day, whether I go to the Olympics or not. That was what was in the dream. I'm an athlete every day. I'm an athlete every day. The daily athlete. Huh. That's the name. Because I've been looking for a name. Went online, registered. It's really fast to register a business. Later that day. I would like to talk about this off air too. I oh, you want to do it? I do. We can talk about it right yeah, now, too, sure. but I want to continue with this. Story. For sure. I mean, we're going to keep continuing. We'll, let's just touch in every week. We'll touch in every Bless. week. All right? I love it. So, um, the Daily Athlete went online, founded it, started it, boom, black, curve, boom, that's good. Go to practice later in the day. And at practice, it was like, and I had read the Alchemist. Have you read The Alchemist? I'll give you one book at a time. <laughs> I'll give you I one book at a time. No, I'll give you one I'm, book at a time. When I go through this, I'm going to be writing it yeah. down. Don't you worry. So, The Alchemist, um, I had read that book shortly after I came back from Rio. A lot of things made sense. And so in that same moment, I felt like I was at the track and the wind was blowing and I was like kneeling in the grass tying my shoe that came undone. And something was just like, I looked down as I'm tying my shoes. Like something was like, huh, there are clovers here. What if I found a four-leaf clover here? That'd be crazy. And then the wind blew. So I looked to the right and there's a four-leaf clover just blowing in the wind. I was just like, is this real life? So the same day after, I think it had been 13 years after my sister had passed. Remember, that was the past time I shared with her. The next time I finally find one was when I'm 26 years old on the day I found, started officially registered the daily app. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, man. Crazy, right? That is so amazing. That's where it's like in that moment I connected with like not only to the, to the spiritual side of things even deep, more deeply because I was already spiritual but even more deeply to the fact that like this daily athlete thing that had been incubating on my heart for time is meant to be so yeah that's yeah. incredible yeah it's and crazy. It, it is really uh, tapping into those moments and realizing this is meant to be yeah I I could not imagine losing my brother yeah it's crazy right that my brother is is the it is just everything to me and i think i've realized it now more so than ever that i'm away from home and i'm sure you feel that with your sister yeah spiritually to understand that she's with me every day yeah and it has to be so moving to go through that transition at a young age to yeah. lose somebody that you're so close with and then continue to grow yeah man i can't imagine um I don't know. I guess part of it is being a kid. You don't really think about processing grief. I never really thought about that when I was a child. I ended up having to go through that 
later in life, like when I was 25, 26, 27. So glad I did. That's why I can talk about it openly. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, yeah, it goes back to what we're saying. Everything's connected. All right, let's put it this way. All we are is a bunch of fucking atoms. Straight yeah. up. So if And if they say that energy is neither created nor destroyed, that means the atoms that we are, whether or not we are here talking or we're no longer existing on Earth talking, we're, we've been dead and buried, those, that energy still lives on. So, yes, it's very much true that I, when I found that clover blow, literally blowing in the wind, I felt like she was like, I'm here, congrats, you did what you needed to do. I was just like... Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I like teared up and everything. Like, oh my god! <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 a really it's really touching. But like, yes, it's also you get confirmations from everywhere you go, dude. The fact that we're even talking right now, like, like all things are connected, man. We look at them as separate, but underneath it all, everything's the same. Yeah, it, it's absolutely incredible that you and I met. And for me, I was starstruck because you're an Olympian. Yeah, no worries, man. And I'm I'm willing to invest in what you're doing too. I know you have you're doing a lot of podcasts, so um, I um if you are up to it and we talked about a media company, I'd love for you to start your own podcast and we oh, yeah. and, and you could and you just make it whatever you want. I don't care, but um long term I would like to build a brand that encompasses everything and I would love for you to be a part of it to, to say hey. this is where my vision comes from and collaborate and understand each other better but also you have an older perspective than i do and yeah. so you understand what it takes to to get there and continue it and i'd like to say that i i'm learning that now yeah but if you were to start your own podcast i know you would get listeners one and two i know that it would just build to something that accompanies that journey yeah. and just gives even more depth to whatever your interests are. Well, I'll tell you this. I can pick up game from you because, I, like I said, I did one episode on Anchor. It was like a tester episode, and I shared it with the focus group. Uh -huh. um, but I already have topics written down that I just need to record. So you already have yours on the Apple Podcast and all that I'll stuff, be your so first I, guest. You I don't tell care. Me, you tell me. Yeah, you can do, we'll do that. We'll do that. Cool. Um, it's about time I move on. So, Because, as we said at the beginning of this, for me, it's not even about the creation. It's like I create. Just, I needed to find one... I feel limited by one lane, but I need to find a structure that I can do all the, whether it be YouTube and podcasts or YouTube and IGTV videos, something I can do consistently. Podcast seems like something I can do because I talk. Yes. So, um, I would literally, when I would yeah. come home from um, the Fight Club lacrosse, I was so, uh, I was starstruck when I went to those as well, yeah. and I would set my phone up on my dashboard because it was about a 30 minute drive home, yeah. and I would just talk to myself. Oh, I do that. Dude, that's crazy. I do that all the time. <laughs> and it's so incredible. It's like, oh my God. why am I doing this? It's like, well, because this is really interesting. And it's yeah. like, I don't know how, I would say to this to myself, it's like, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I need to put this in my own voice and tell you, future me, yes. that this is unbelievable what I just experienced today. Yes. I just got shot on by five professional athletes that I yeah. never thought I'd be able to play with, and they want me there. And it's there like, you what? You have to, <laughs> it's so funny you say that, because like, I have... This is after I deleted most of them a few weeks ago. Why did you delete this, them? Oh, because well, I put them on my computer. Okay, I put them on my computer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so okay, these are just like, I just have so many like random things and videos. It goes back to what I said before. I create for myself. Yes. I create for myself first. And then because I create for myself, those who are also reflections of myself 
will end up benefiting from that. My number one thing is to create for myself first. So yeah, man, let's let's talk about it. Um, yeah, because there are some things that I've mistakes that I've made that I think I can. Obviously, that's the whole basis of what I share. Yes. Um, you have to make mistakes to grow. Yeah, of course. But I think there are mistakes I've made that I think that would be very beneficial for you to learn from. Yes. Also, you've done some things I haven't done. You're, you have a podcast that's on Apple, which is so much easier to share than Anchor. So, like, little things like that. Also, I have an extra podcasting mic with me. Uh, I don't know if you have I one. would love you have an one? extra. I have one. Uh, I'll just give you another one. Because I was so funny how things work. I went to um, last week. So one of the things I do is I flip, I like to flip stuff. Like since the beginning of the year, when I got hurt, I had to find another way to start hustling, right? Yeah. I've made more money as an entrepreneur in arbitrage than I've made in the past like How so? I just started, I'd go on eBay. So you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Yeah. So I found one video where he's talking about going to garage sales and selling junk that he found. I'm like, let me try this out. Since I'm like basically wheeling on one of these scooters anyway. Yeah. I went to these stores, started finding some random little products to sell, like... Whether it be from, I found some mugs, like little random things. Look, basically, I learned how to research it, buy it, sell it, and retire. Made a lot of money over doing that. Um, but the reason why I say that is to say this. Last week, I went. I was like, I had this blue microphone. You know the blue snowballs? That's what I have. Yeah. You have one? Yeah. And I, I was like, it's cool. But I wanted something that was a little bit more professional sounding. Even though that one was really cool. But... Because I already opened it, I can't return it. Right. It's been old, it's, I mean, it's been past the month of time. It's like I can sell it, but I lose money on it. I'm, I'm better off just donating. So I was going to give it to Goodwill like earlier today. Because <laughs> I, oh I went to a yard sale gosh. last. I went to a yard sale last week and found a really nice microphone for twenty bucks. So, um, like a producer mic from Pro Studios or something like that. So I was about to give this away. I was like, huh. There you go. You can have it. Sure. Oh that my works. gosh! I appreciate you. I use yeah, I use the Blue Yeti Nano as my yeah. original one, but oh my gosh! And I'm happy yeah. to pay you for it. Nah, that's it's cool, inc- man. It's cool. It's oh cool. Oh my god! I'd rather give it. I'd rather give it to you for free than pay or like charge someone thirty dollars to get it. At least it's paying it forward. Absolutely. So, yeah, and hey, works. the podcast quality will be better because of you. Yeah, so yeah, no problem, I appreciate man. that. No problem, man. That's what I'm here for. That's, what, that's what it's all about. Giving back. Continuing the circle. Man. Karmic circle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're at about two hours. Yeah. Shoot. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to cover? I mean, we, yeah. we covered a lot. I, I love this. It, man. But um, honestly, I think this is just the beginning. This Some. is. Yeah. And dude, I, the universe has crazy ways of communicating. And the fact that we met to be able to yeah. have a podcast like this, I, I'm honored and yeah, man. I appreciate you taking the time. You, I'm honored you invited me on it, man. That's cool. I love to talk. I talk too much, so... Yeah. Keep talking. Appreciate it. People want to hear it. Yeah. So thank you so much. For sure, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. For sure. Thank you all so much for joining. Olu, it was great learning your story. I wanted to give Mac Miller the proper introduction for his beats and lyrics that we've been using for the common intellectual. It's called A Song About Nothing, Day One. You can find it on SoundCloud. And I felt like it really resonated with this episode and the internal battles that 
we all go through and especially athletes artists and creators to put out the best product possible for themselves so again i thank you all for listening olu i thank you for joining can't wait to be on your podcast i love you all and we'll see you next week